connecting to the real nerds is so easy. You can go to our website, realnerdspodcast.com. You can like us on Facebook. We have a Twitter account, at Real Nerds. We also have Instagram. You can call us, 720-6Nerds5. You want to email us? You can do that too, realnerds at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hi, my name is Paul Caroli, and I host a podcast called Changing Denver. It's a monthly show about our city's physical spaces, how we make them, and how they make us. But it's so much more than that. It's the conversations, ideas, and stories that define Denver's perpetual state of flux. Find more from our team at changingdenver.com and join the conversation on Twitter, at Changing Denver. Denver's changing. We can help. Do you remember where you were when we elected a Sasquatch president? How about when you learned Ben Franklin was a robot? Or first heard Stalin's mixtape? I'm Zach Powers. I'm Brian Flynn, and we host The Revisionists. Each episode, one person explains real history and another tells an alternate version. And the winner becomes the truth. We let comics from Denver and around the country run wild through history. It's an in-depth look at history, but with more Babadooks. Check out The Revisionists, available every other Saturday. Wherever you get podcasts and at revisionistpodcast.com. This is Zach Howard, and you're listening to The Real Nerds Podcast. Welcome to Real Nerds Podcast, unofficially the official podcast at Denver Comic Con 2018 and beyond. Small crew today. Mm-hmm. I'm Ryan. With me is James and Zach. And every week on Real Nerds Podcast, we go see a new movie and we podcast our experience to the world. This week, we went and saw It. Stay tuned to the end of the show where we will spoil It and uh, reveal if- a. <laughs> That's the first of many jokes like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or spoil the film and. Uh, we'll say if you should see it or not, play the trailer, and then we'll spoil it. So if you want to see it and you want to hear if you should see it or not, don't listen to after the trailer. I, I, I pointed out to James that after I walked out of the movie on Friday, I was like, I, I, I had one, I had my reaction to the movie, but I also had the revelation of like, oh my God, there's going to be so many bad jokes this episode, and there's going to be so many bad jokes on my Instagram page from here on out, <laughs> or my Facebook page, it's just, I should it, say. It's, it's, it's just so easy. Before we get started, you know, this is our first, like, real episode, it feels like, in a while. Yeah. In so much that... You mean, the... you mean because I've been missing so much? Yeah, and I've missed you. Oh. Well, that and, like, when we would have had a regular one, Brad and I ended up doing it. Um, I know, it sucked. And then the the mystery show. <laughs> my Sometimes my stupid uh, job gets in the way. Stupid job. My job's not stupid, but sometimes the hours are. Yeah. Um, it's just been like... I, 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 and, I the movies, <laughs> and the movies have been awful. Yeah, the movies have been terrible. The I was super excited to go to the Alamo and see another movie again this week because it, it had been so long. Um, and there was just like a number of things that kept coming up in those last few I weeks. Know, it's where, weird, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and unfortunately, it's not going to stop. I keep like... Because um, then in, in a couple weeks, we got... We've got like Blade Runner coming up, which is great, but then it's also like my birthday, and I'm going to be out of town for some of it. But hopefully, we can make it all work. So you're uh, too important to come here on your birthday. How old are you going to be? James? Oh no, I, I, I'm going to be thirty. 
It's all it's all over from here. I know. Man. It's all downhill. I'm 26 and I already know it's going to oh, be downhill. I can at that point. feel <laughs> I can feel my ovaries drying up right now. <laughs> it's really terrible. Um, holy shit! There's some good Blu-rays this week. Oh my gosh! Yeah. I can't. I'm so excited to get there. Well, I was going to talk about how irresponsible me and James are. Oh my gosh! So I, when you sent that text this week, I was so pissed. So I was. So me and James uh, make. Uh, if you listen to the podcast, know that we love Alfred Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. And James's favorite Alfred Hitchcock movie is maybe Rebecca. his most popular, uh, most acclaimed one is Rebecca. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she is not only. Or it is not only my favorite of his films. She is my favorite villain of all time. Like, and I y'all know how much I love Belloc. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here's this villain that is. I mean, spoilers for Rebecca, kind of not in the what? movie. Dude, that movie's 77 years old. How can you do that? <laughs> uh, but that's what's so amazing about it. Here, here's this this villain um, that, A, represents a whole mm-hmm. lot of like actual people's fears, but also um, is really not in the movie and is so terrifying. Yeah. It, oh, my what, goodness. So, what kind of damage uh, can Rebecca do? Hitchcock's first American film was Rebecca. Yep. And he won an Oscar for it. His only Oscar. Well, yep. he never he didn't win it. The David O. Selznick won it. Right. The it's, the film won. The an film Oscar. won it. The film won the Oscar. Come yeah. on. Yeah. You know what we're saying. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. He, we we but, got but, it, film. But nerd. It, is, it is true that technically he never got one. Yeah. Except S- for the honorary one where he just said thank you and then he walked away. <laughs> yeah. Pissed off as hell. Yeah. Nice. Anyway. Should have so, stopped that shit, been like. But anyway, I want to hear your story. Yeah. <laughs> so I believe Paramount, or is it Fox, owns Rebecca? Uh, I think it's I think MGM. It's, is it MGM? Yeah. Oh, it well, is MGM. Which would now well. be Sony and Fox. So, yeah. anyways, they put out all of Hitchcock's films, and I have a couple of them. Notorious, and I think uh, Rear Window, and they're, they're really awful Blu-ray Yeah, the covers, covers are terrible, because it's like, it's like this big, bold, blocky letter coming at you, like, Rebecca, and you're like, Bleh. And it has, like, eyes on it, and you're like, what the yeah. hell? And then, yeah. uh, so, my favorite website is Blu-ray.com, because mm-hmm. they give really great in-depth Blu-ray reviews, and it helps me on some purchases that I'm not sure about. Right. And so I went there Wednesday, Thursday, someday yeah, this some week. Wednesday, I think. And I saw that it says Rebecca on it. I'm like, oh. And I click on it. Fucking Criterion Rebecca oh, with like gosh. a badass cover and it, and their special features. Everything on it's all fives. Wow. So, so I ordered well, that. that. Is, that's not unheard of, though. I think Rebecca got released by them at one point before. Um, um, like in their history, I don't know if it was like Laserdisc or early DVD for them, but yeah, I think it, I think it was DVD only. Yeah, but um, like because so, I looked at uh, it before, so that means they're bringing it out for Blu-ray now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's that's it's awesome. Very, so, so me and James are very disappointed in ourselves. Yeah, Criterion yeah. does good job with Hitchcock. They've oh, done. they do good job with everything. Well, I, yeah, I, I mean, good. I just think like with Hitchcock is like they they do some stuff with the special features that you're not expecting. I will say with Hitchcock and really important films. Mm-hmm. They're the best at the special features and preserving them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Whether oh. it's le- whether it's like the kid, um, I just I just I've watched it a few months ago. It's called The Lady Vanishes. It's another Hitchcock that takes mm-hmm. place on a train. Great Blu-ray. Yep, I like the cover for that one too. Maybe uh, not his best film. It's still a great film, but I mean, it's it's they treat they treat it as if though it was the best thing ever. made. Exactly, and that's why I love Criterion. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it uh, there's a great. Um, the the To Catch a Thief Blu-ray is really great, and it's I mean I only have the normal Blu-ray; it's not mm-hmm. anything special. Uh, but they've just got some really cool features on there, and yeah, yeah, you're right. Like they they treat it like it's a very big deal, uh, which is cool. I I mean my To Be or Not to Be Blu-ray is one of my favorite things that I own right now because it is I mean it treats a film that I thought nobody could have given two fucks about 
like as if though it was like the best thing since sliced bread. So, Zach, you went to the Sloan's Lake Alamo. How was that? <laughs> uh. Besides, bes- I mean, the aesthetics. I'm not talking about your uh, experience. Okay, so he kind of told you a little bit. About yeah, it. I give you. A, um, yeah. So the aesthetics of the bar fly is fucking awesome. Yeah. Right? It is a great bar. I would take down the portrait of Kubrick, but whatever. That's just my personal opinion. Wow, um, man, shots fired he's everywhere. Come on, just we get it. He it's, made it. He made the. the he made wait, the wait, wait, Where's where's Sam Mamie? <laughs> oh, See, I, I mean, I just I want Quentin Tarantino on there, or maybe like you know Ooh, maybe man. Scorsese, or you yeah. know yeah. But anyway, I mean, uh, Barfly's well, good. I like the aesthetic. I like that you can go outside and sit outside in the patio. I like that it has like a 1920s mm-hmm. feel to it. Oh yeah, yeah. Very the much chandeliers so. are really cool. Yeah, it's got that lounge aesthetic, like almost like a like the cotton. Clo- like a I keep on waiting for a flapper girl to come. <laughs> what would you order, be, sir? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the inside, but like so, the the ticket area, mm-hmm. uh, the where you, or the box office, um, it's really nice. I, I love the the lighting of it. Like it just it 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 feels like a movie palace. Um, like you know how you used yeah. to have the balcony and whatnot. So we don't obviously have that today. But the 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 intention is there, mm-hmm. and then you walk through to get to your screen, and it's a long row, and it's got this great artwork of, uh, I think they're all like uh, more or less kung fu films. Yeah, mm-hmm. that seems to be their they're all like sort of exploitation films. It yeah, looks like, yeah, I mean, but a majority of them are like they look like they're coming out of Japan. Yeah, um, and they can hold a lot of space, and they were doing the anime film festival there this mm-hmm. weekend, so I was actually impressed, like. Um, so like, I guess I can reveal it now. I programmed part of the DocuWest, uh, festival this year. Oh, cool. Um, uh, which that's I, why they're so boring. <laughs> <laughs> all, the, all, all of them were about Jack Fenny guys. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, an old timey radio. Actually, I saw this, uh, I was at Barnes and Noble and they had, as in the magazine section where people still read them. Uh-huh. And, um, there's this like old timey radio magazine. I was like, I should get that for Zach. <laughs> And then, a, and then I didn't. And then I didn't because just have a picture of me inside bucks. as like honorary president. <laughs> um, no, but um, and then like so I like that they can fit space in there for festivals, which is nice because I love Littleton a lot. It'll always be my hometown, Alamo. But the space there doesn't necessarily suggest the uh, necessity for a festival. Like kind of like I'm glad they're gonna do Telluride Horror or not Telluride um, Mile High Horror there next year. I think it is so. Um, but I mean, I liked it overall and, uh, Steve was there, um, and, uh, talked with him a little bit. He's doing great. Um, the staff there is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to Logan who worked at the Barfly, who was like super attentive and like biggest badass on the planet. And his name is Logan guys. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I, I almost asked him like, dude, do you have those claw things? <laughs> so I like it though. I will say though, I do find it weird that. Because I was telling James in the car that it's it's so small on the outside, like it's like a TARDIS situation. Like it feels a lot bigger <laughs> yeah. inside than it does outside, and like it being on the west end of Colfax, it's not so far on the west end of Colfax, but it is on the west end of Colfax. Is kind of like they're gonna have to sort out the riffraff for a while, <laughs> which before, I think. Well, yeah, uh, that whole area is being revitalized, and what they do is if you. Where the Alamo is, and if you right behind it, they have really expensive apartments. Yeah, eventually, it'd be too expensive for riffraffs to live there. Yeah, they I did know. that at. Uh, it used to be called Villa Italia, and now it's called Belmar. Mm-hmm. They just make it too expensive for the unsavory to live there. It's called gentrification, and you can read all about it on the internet. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, but it, I, I it, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say it's interesting because we had a 
a pretty terrible experience with like somebody who was very drunk um, that you know ended up getting kicked out. Uh, and it was great. It, it was actually really nice that. Um, well, I, I I will say I hesitated too long before putting up my card, but by the time we had sort of complained, and then like, dude, they they got re- and I think they knew like, okay, this one is clearly bad enough where this person is really drunk and and belligerent that like she got the like the the person got the warning and then um they just stayed by the oh yeah, well, yeah. from what I heard cause <laughs> the manager I left just the, went yeah I left the theater and I didn't go back in and I'm not gonna divulge why but long story short I did not know what ended up happening but i guess they stayed off to the side oh yeah and the, waited for them to make another fuck up. i watched i watched her do it where like she went and did the warning and then the and then the manager was there and she just stood there and watched and like you know let them do a couple of like hoots or or comments that seemed like you were maybe interacting with the movie and then once it was clear like nah man you're not mm-hmm. like you know and and as soon as she moved i hear him go like fuck kick me out i was like yeah that's right go the fuck home you don't <laughs> you no longer get the right to leave your house and call what? yourself an uber i'll yeah. tell you right now right before i left what he was doing was he was ruffling through his backpack which kind of made me like a little nervous but then he started like mumbling to himself must be the white boys it's always the white boys I'm like, <laughs> like fuck okay. okay i'm like i just yeah. uh, i i've already seen it and i make i i know enough to talk about it on the show today yeah. i'm going to the bar fly for a glass of water <laughs> yeah so um, in a fight or flight you flew I flew. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not brave, man. That's okay. I think we've made it clear. I'm both. I'm annoying. I can be abused, and I fly at the face of danger. <laughs> I never said I was a hero, Billy. Oh, <laughs> man. Uh, but uh, having no, said all that, yeah, oh, Alamo is a great place to see movies. It is. My In favorite. fact, this is what's playing at the Alamo Draft House next week. I see what you did there. Hello. Hi, I'm Kevin Smith. Hi, I'm Leonard Maltin. Hi, I'm Mark Hamill. Hi, I'm Elijah Wood. This is Seth Rogen. I'm Christopher Mintz-Bloss. I'm Ron Star. Welcome to the Alamo Draft House. The transitions work a lot better, Zach, if you don't keep on going and going and going about uh, what you're talking about. But... I'm also <laughs> flawed in that way, too. <laughs> um, <laughs> David Gilmore, live at Pompeii. If you don't know who David Gilmore is, he is a guitarist for Pink Floyd. Sweet. Dan's shaking his head. He knows. We do have one studio audience member. Um, Drag <laughs> Queen Bingo is also there. I'm not saying I'll be there, guys, but maybe. Yeah, might be fun. <laughs> May at Last, a portrait of the Avit brothers. Ooh. Oh, that's uh, co-directed by Judd Apatow. So. Oh, cool. Um, I think it's an Amazon thing, too, so nice. it will be coming to Prime soon. Oh, oh well, yeah. Video Vortex presents future war oh my goodness that is one of the highest budget looking video vortexes i've ever seen <laughs> holy they're shit. fighting dinosaurs oh my god the they got the whole head of a dinosaur that they could they could shove through windows and fight and make you fight uh that was cool better uh, than jurassic park no 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 <laughs> just higher budget than like the other video vortex films okay. <laughs> still only worth a dollar yes serenity movie party right be a good one cool i think that's yeah. actually coming out on 4k soon too oh uh, in the Heat of the Night is also playing. Ooh, yes. They call me Mr. Tibbs. <laughs> Sci-Fi 25 screening presents Spaceballs Movie Party. <sighs> Spaceballs the Movie Party. <laughs> and uh, Zach knows what's also happening is a Docu West International Films Fest is happening as well. Hey, I guess I'm going to have to go back to Sloan's Lake again. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that was poorly programmed. <laughs> <laughs> it's been programmed by a 
bitch. Whoa. <laughs> oh my goodness. That, that's oh. what my name is in the program. Yeah. <laughs> I told him, like, just, just label me bitch. <laughs> See, Zach, Zach, clearly you are brave and you don't flee because you keep coming back here for more <laughs> abuse. So I just I want to give a abuse victims always return to this. <laughs> give a quick shout out to uh, Telluride Horror Show has announced their lineup this year, and there's still a few more surprises like they do every year. Um, John Davison, if you listen to, we do have an interview with him, mm. producer extraordinaire. Uh, he's bringing a bunch of old like grindhouse and horror movie trailers. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also see Victor Crowley, which is the secret film Adam Green shot, which mm. is the fourth part of the Hatchet series. Crazy. Um, Wait, it's a secret film? Oh, you didn't hear about this? No, I didn't. So, uh, this is actually a really cute story. Uh, if you go to bloodydisgusting.com or, uh. <laughs> Sorry, it's just funny when you say it out loud. <laughs> yeah. So they had an interview with him and he, so what he did is he shot a secret film. Mm-hmm. And the reason he shot Victor Crowley is he was at Comic Con or somewhere. I can't remember where, maybe a horror convention. Mm-hmm. And he was back, it had to have been a horror convention. He was backstage and George Romero came up to him mm-hmm. and he said, I gotta tell you. I love those hatchet movies. <laughs> and so he he didn't want to make another one. He made three of them. He did. He has a TV show, and he's also did uh, Digging Up the Marrow. Mm-hmm. And Which he I heard was okay. It's all right. And he, um, but I do like him as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's like, I don't know if I have a story. And then he, uh, Romero said something about people love him. And uh, so he went back and he wrote uh, Victor Crowley. Mm-hmm. For the 10th year anniversary, and he decided he wasn't going to tell anybody about it. Mm. It was shot under the oh. name of his dog. They went back to Louisiana. Oh, um, uh, Arwen. Yeah, Arwen. There yeah. you go. And he called up Kane Hodder. He's like, hey, you want to come out and do this? He's like, fuck yeah, I want to be Victor Crowley again. <laughs> so they shot this whole movie, and then they dropped a bombshell like premiere screening last week in Los Angeles. Wow. That's Under cool. Victor Crowley. And uh, no one knew what it was. He walked down. I was like, hey. This is the new Hatchet movie. Oh, wow. And uh, so that's going to be at Telluride Horror as well. Nice. Uh, Creep 2 is doing his Colorado premiere. Jungle, which is Daniel uh, David Daniel Radcliffe's new movie, is also going to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also have a few more surprises. If you can make it out to Telluride in October for the f- Horror Film Fest, it is amazing. Uh, we, yeah. we had such a great time. Uh, unfortunately, life keeps on getting in the way for us to go back out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to go back out there again. And the... the t- Tim, right? Tim, yeah, Tim. <laughs> well, I had like a total. It's, like, it's been so long since we talked to him. He's not oh. just Tim; he's the Tim. Yeah, yeah he's such Tim. a sweet guy. Absolutely, so so unassuming, mm-hmm. and like, so you meet him, and when he's like the guy who runs this horror fest, you're like, you. I, really? I remember the first year we went there. I wasn't sure what to expect because he, uh, we, the first year we did Denver Comic Con, uh, this lady named Amy was in charge of the publicity from Tsunami, and she emailed me and said, "Hey, would you be willing to go out to Telluride for this horror fest?" And cover it. You get free passes. You just have to pay for your room and board. Yeah. And I said, uh, fuck yeah. I'll go to tell you, right? <laughs> and we went there, and he was the nicest guy. Oh, yeah. Gave us passes. Got to see a whole bunch of movies. Interviewed cool people. The second time we went out was my, probably my favorite, because we got to interview the battery guys. Um, no, the battery was the first time. Was that the first time? Yeah. What was the second time? Phil then? Tippett was the Phil second Tippett, time. Phil Tippett, so it was the second time. Mm, um, right. And Paul Simon, Salmon's going to be back this year. Cool. And he's just a... He's so cool, and every time I watch Blu-ray documentaries, I'm like, "Oh my gosh, there he is again!" Yeah, 
he is really a truly a film historian. So great. So uh, the tickets go fast there because it's a, just a little festival. Yeah. Um, make sure you pick them up because you'll have a great time. Yeah. Nice. It's, a, it's such a neat little uh, neat little town that like any good excuse to go to Telluride is worth it. But it's it. starting to get big because it's getting coverage from like, you know, big horror sites. And I actually think it's a part of another festival now. Oh, Alamo helps out with it. I'm yeah. sorry. Oh, Alamo cool. helps out with it. Very cool. Because uh, if you go to buy tickets now, you, it takes you to Alamo's website. Oh, wow. Um, and also, every once in a while, we get phone calls. This week, we received, we received a phone call from Corinne. Ah, cool. And I'm going to play for it for you guys right now. And Zach, she actually asks you a question, and I can't fucking believe it. Oh, okay. Uh, here's Corinne. Hey, nerds. It's Corinne. I hope you guys are having a good kickoff to your um, fall season. I just thought, had a couple of questions for you um, to kind of spur discussion. First of all... What did you think of this past movie, uh, summer movie season? Uh, I didn't get get out to see very many. I saw Wonder Woman. I think I saw um, I saw uh, Spider Man Homecoming. I think I maybe saw another movie, but I don't remember what it is. But um, it sounds like box office revenues were down this year from past years, like one of the lowest rated August in recent memory. So. Just interested to hear what you guys thought of the summer movie season as a whole. Was it better? Was it worse um, than previous years? Uh, also, I had a question for Zach because uh, he had talked about how Casablanca was um, like the third best film or his third favorite film or something of that nature. And I just wondered what were the other two above it. And uh, I think I had another question on that one. I forget what it is. Um, no. Oh, oh, have you guys, have any of you watched The Defenders? Because if you have, I'm interested to hear your opinion. And if not, I am really curious if, if someone's willing to watch it and then let us all know how it is. Um, I've seen it and I'm, I want to know what other people think of it too. So thanks guys and hope you're having fun. See you soon. Bye. So uh, thanks for calling, Corinne. It's always yeah, great from here. She's going to be on The Kingsman, mm-hmm. hopefully. Is that next week? And I think it's the following Two week. It's the week oh, okay. after. Yeah. Uh, she said she wanted to come on. We'll reach out to her and see if she can make it. Yeah, that'd be she's, great. Uh, she's a big writer, so we don't, <laughs> she's busy. That's but hopefully true. she can make it. Um, to answer her first question, my overall opinion of the summer movies, if they were good movies, there was a lot of good ones, but there was a lot of bad stuff. And I don't... And people see people are burnt out from uh, comic books, comic book movies or big tentpole movies. I don't think that's the problem. I no. think if you make a good movie, people will go. Yeah. Um, the, the truth is, it is a really good example. And I'm not I'm not commenting on the quality of the film. I'm commenting on the fact that for the past four or five weeks, there's been so little to see that I truly believe. Yeah. The word of mouth on the movie is really good. And so that helps. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's magnified by the fact that people are hungry to see something good. Always. Because it has been. Just kind of lame. Um, and, you know, I, I've, I've said this on many podcasts before. If they would spread it out a little more, mm-hmm. yeah, you bunch them all together. And something like, I haven't even seen it, but I know I won't like, I, I don't want to, but I might, is Transformers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so, each movie got progressively worse. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> they did. And then, I mean, <laughs> but you have something like Wonder Woman, which I think is a great film. And it, the stuff like that catches on. I mean, it's gonna it's over four hundred million dollars. Yeah, mm-hmm. in four hundred and ten. Um, Spider Man, people weren't sure of, 
But then after the reviews started coming, like, oh, this might be the best Spider-Man ever. Yeah. Yeah. It had uh, a great weekend, and it's still, it's been in the top 10 for 10 weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So it won't make as much money as Wonder Woman, but if you have a movie where people respond to, it'll stay in the top 10. I think this is what I've noticed for it, because I'm going to go on record and saying, like, this has been my favorite summer in recent memory. Um, I, I think the only other summer that I liked as much as this one was probably 2012, um, because... Of the fact, you're a big Roland Emmerich fan. What? Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> um, but um, no, uh, because the qual- especially June and July. I'm going to specifically point out June and July. Every week when we went to a film, it seemed like more often than not it was 80 percent good, 20 percent garbage. And I point out to like like within a row of a sequence of rows, we had Spider-Man: Homecoming, we had War for the Planet of the Apes. Um, we had Baby Driver. Um, we have, um, and then we have stuff that we didn't even do the main review on, like The Big Sick, oh, man. which come out in the summer. And I seek out because it's just it's that. It, thankfully, it's that available. Um, and then you also have your indie fair, like Good Time and all that stuff. Um, but I think that, uh, and Logan Lucky, even like I know it didn't blow up the box office, but like I'm a, I'm not always looking at the box office report. I'm looking no. at the quality of the film. Oh yeah, no, yeah. I mean I yeah, agree, yeah. but. If- <laughs> But if that is, quali- does play a big part of it. If the quality of the film is not good, it, people will respond. I mean, they'll go out and see um, a movie. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, even Cars 3. Like, I was not expecting Cars 3 to be well, as enjoyable as it was. I think right? Cars 3 is brilliant. In, <laughs> but Cars 2 damaged the reputation so much that yeah. it's not going to – it wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's still, uh, it's, and I, I think that the, the – f- the fair for kids movies has gotten a little bit better. Like there's other stuff out there that's mm-hmm. actually, I mean, you still have your secret life of pets, but you get some, uh, you know, a couple other movies a year now where you're like, man, there's a kids movie. That's either, it's either Disney or whatever. I think that the, that also, helped, you know, and I think people, the, those Pixar movies aren't quite as tent poly as they used mm-hmm. to be. Um, because there's other, you know, options. And I think this summer actually proves that just as important as the tent poles are, the mid-budget movie, it's I don't I'm not going to say it's making a comeback, but I think there's enough examples to show that they can work and be profitable as long as you're focusing on quality with them as opposed to the accoutrements. Mm-hmm. Um, and Baby Driver is a really good example of that. Um, Big Sick is a good example of that because I mean it's not like a mega blockbuster, but it made a decent amount of money for Amazon Studios. Um, and then you also have um, I would want to say. I, w- I wish I could say Logan Lucky, but that's like a weird like instance where, yeah, they bombed, but they they're not losing money because they technically already pre-sold everything because it's not a major studio. But yeah, and, and I mean, box office has no result well, I mean, on if a movie's good. No, yeah. I know, but but like, it can buoy a movie that's just okay. My one of it's an old, obviously it's old now, but Batman Begins did not start off like how comic book movies usually start yeah, yeah. No, i think it was 58 million yep 58 million. and end up doing uh 215 yeah, so it's like doing four times and it's... it did 415 worldwide yeah so yeah. It, i mean yeah it's respectable yeah but the word of mouth eventually caught on like oh these are good movies mm-hmm. and i think the same thing with wonder woman it had a really good opening but it's staying powers because it's like oh it's saying something different mm-hmm. and this might be a comic book movie but if you make it it always goes back if you make a good movie people will see it yeah you know, it, Baby Driver is another great example. It it had a really good opening. Mm-hmm. But again, word of mouth. And, you know, you should see this movie. Sustainability helped it. And it's good for someone like Edgar Wright, who I think is brilliant, to finally get 
a hit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would add the addendum that, like, I think what you're saying is true in the context of a summer like this where there's enough misses to make space, right? You, oh, you, yeah. There's always movie, And we can name them, you know, you've got your Scott Pilgrims out there where they're great movies that then they don't get enough attention for whatever reason or they're, they're booked. <laughs> yeah, they're booked against something that is not, um, you know, uh, or, or, or that ends up blowing up and that movie gets forgotten. But I think in a summer like this where you have... You know, I do feel like this is a, a conversation we end up having almost every summer where unless the summer is particularly great, you you still have sort of that like hindsight where you're like, oh, man, like I feel, I feel like there just hasn't been anything in a while, especially this time of year when it can when it starts to lull. Um, but this is a summer where I look back and I go like, man, there were a lot of just surprising misses, you know, between a a an alien covenant, a pirate's. Uh, I mean, even Baywatch, like you, you said it was pretty good, but it was like, I'll talk from, about this week. <laughs> the, the, yeah, the word, the word of mouth wasn't great on that movie. Um, something like the mummy that again was, was so poorly reviewed. Um, I, I think that puts a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths that, that kind of sinks a lot of the great stuff, right? The, you know, people forget about how good a Baby Driver or a Guardians of the Galaxy two, or you know, it's because um, we have a Pirates five, or yeah, five. right. You know, um, and there's some weird stuff this summer, right? I feel like Dunkirk was well, Dunkirk. a September release that came out in July, mm-hmm. um, but it does. As I look back at the list of movies this this summer, the fact that like Atomic Blonde was the movie we reviewed when that movie is so clearly a like March release mm-hmm. or a February release. Like it, it just seemed like, you know, it did seem like a summer where there was a bit of a lull and you kind of went like, Oh, okay, well this is what we got, you know? Um, yep. so uh, uh, some great stuff, just, I, just a lot of misses. There right. were, there were too many dark towers. I think <laughs> that wasn't a metaphor. I mean the movie dark tower, <laughs> um, there's only one dark tower, but there's eight books, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think I, I, I'll stick by my guns on that. It's the um, uh, my favorite summer so far since 2012 because that for me is the um, the 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 summer to beat in terms of like what we ended up getting out of it. Yeah, movie wise. Yeah. Um, 2007 might also be one in contention, Great and year. 2008, but we will talk about 2007 on another episode. Right. Uh, so, Zach, we know what Casablanca is your third favorite film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, last week, you revealed your favorite film of all time. Jackie Brown. Um, so, so then, what's number two, then? Number two is always going to be Zodiac. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. I love Zodiac Explain a lot. why. Um, and I kind of talked a little bit about it on the Movies Made Me episode earlier in the year, um, but... Uh, the the overall i love that movie for the reason brad hates that movie i'm going to put it that way <laughs> for the listeners cuz they probably listened to when brad revealed how he saw it for the first time and was unimpressed that movie its strength is that you, there is no answer to this mystery and the movie isn't about catching a serial killer i know it's sold that way in the trailer but it's not that movie is about misinformation and paranoia and obsession mm-hmm. and it tackles all three of those subjects perfectly yeah you know i robert downey jr is my favorite actor i, I don't think i've talked about him in a long time since spider-man yeah. so um <laughs> a long time is a month and a half <laughs> but his performance the last scene with him is amazing mm-hmm. when he's on the houseboat and he's tossed it. I don't know. I moved him to a fucking boat. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, you know, to me, I mean? that's what the movie is. It's about 
almost getting there mm-hmm. and being obsessed with it and not and never let it go never let it go and like and i think honestly like so like I lo- i'm a big fan of the end of movies because like it's just it's the last thing you walk out with mm-hmm. and um it has one of my favorite endings because of the it's the scene in the airport it doesn't have any of the major stars in it it's two it's two like actors but they're not like stars and they're doing the scene where um it's mike mike Majot, who's mm-hmm. one of the first victims of the zodiac is alive and he's hiding out in canada i believe I, i'm trying to remember i think it's canada and they're at an airport and he meets uh mike Majot meets an agent at the airport to look over um uh headshots in a lineup and he says like take your time um and if you see somebody you recognize point him out and he points out someone he says, "Are you sure?" And he's like, "I'm pretty sure." He had a round face like this guy. Am I to understand that you're going to be you're pointing at the other one now? I'm like, no, I just said he had a round face like this one, but this one. And then he says, on a scale of one to ten, how sure are you? And the last line, I, I I love it because it sums up the entire movie. Last time I saw this face was in 1963. I'm fairly sure that that's the man who shot me. And then it ends with the hurdy gurdy song, and I'm like, fuck, yeah. <laughs> like my mind blew up. The third time I watched it with that ending because it took me two viewings to understand how brilliant this movie was. And then by the time I get to the third viewing, I was like, fuck, this is a masterpiece. Fincher will never do any better than this. I think. Because <laughs> we don't know. Yeah. He's still alive, guys. <laughs> it's an amazing so movie. So I, I would say, I, yeah, I... it's number two. I mean, like, I might end up doing a top ten at some point for the website. But, like, I'll tell you, number four is Halloween because that movie I grew up with in its in its own strange way. But, like... Um, but yeah, it's Zodiac. So it's Jackie Brown, Zodiac, Casablanca. Um, nice. So that's a good yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for calling in, Corinne. Yeah. Look Thank you for seeing you and for more comments. And why we'll you keep want on to know more about me is beyond me. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, you're fascinating. <laughs> Lee Dull. Um, <laughs> I couldn't let it go. Every time you talk, people just go, really? <laughs> uh, James, let's unspool some real news. Okay. It's real news. Uh, excuse me, we gotta right. download the DLP file, guys. <laughs> Film reels are so yesterday. <laughs> uh, you're now you're that guy. Did you see Dunkirk? No. Yes, I did. Then you saw it on film. That's right, <laughs> asshole. Um, <laughs> let's not beat around the bush, any. Uh, some crazy big news happened this week. Uh, Colin Trevorrow uh, is no longer directing Star Wars Nine. We need to have a se- uh, 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 intro segment for news like this now called Star Wars Watch Day Forty Seven. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, and, it, and, and what it boils down to is how excited I am. Yeah. Besides that, <laughs> um, is Kathleen Kennedy is in charge of Lucasfilm. Mm-hmm. If you do not play ball with <laughs> Lucasfilms, then you can. Um, Poontang your ass on out the door because, <laughs> she, and I, what, what I will say with her is I think she's one hundred percent right mm-hmm. because she is in charge of billions of billions of dollars, and it's not just she has more pressure than anybody. Yeah. She's the one who's in charge of this has to work, this has to work, this has to work, and, and if, it's a very crucial stage for that franchise. It right is now. very crucial because you had Force Awakens nine hundred twenty eight million dollars, two yeah. billion dollars at the box office. So they've recaptured it. Yeah. Rogue One was a big test. Like, well, are, are people going to see it without the main story? Right. A billion dollars. People responded to it. I, I love that movie. It wasn't as well received as Force Awakens. Yeah. But I don't think it could ever could be. 
No. It has its extreme fans, and then it has its okay fans. Yeah, and, and so then you have the Han Solo project that they brought aboard guys who are very talented. Mm-hmm. But after you read what they did, she's like, you can't do it. You can't improvise scenes when everybody has to set up millions of dollars worth of shots. And she warned him and warned him. And then I read that they stopped even like being they were late to the set constantly. And then she just axed him. I and, think so. Like there would, th- there's a part of me that feels that um, filmmakers, especially filmmakers who are not known, who don't understand where we're going, like so up and comers or like aspiring that would say like, Oh, they're just in hindering on an artist's vision. It's like, well, first of all, guys, it's called the film business, and there's a word in there you're not reading. But number two is, is that if you're going to throw at me the example of, well, George Lucas did it, and nobody touched his vision, and he got to do it that way. I'm like, That's bullshit. Yeah, because <laughs> nobody – they gave him the minimalist amount of money they possibly could to right. make that movie. They let him go because they thought they would get like a decent return. It ended up becoming a cultural phenomenon, and when that happens – you can't just do anything you want with it. You have to walk a very fine line. And if you can't, and you're getting hired by a company ultimately. Yeah. If it, you, it and is a job. It's like, okay, I work for the art thrift store. If I go into the art thrift store and start telling them I should do stuff the way Goodwill does it, art's going to can me. <laughs> can, can, I, can I read the quote? Because Absolutely. honestly, it, it just gives me, qu- gives me chills. Oh, because um, it's a good quote. Because it's really good. So this is from, uh, from Vulture. Uh, who basically talked to somebody who was a producer on the set of Jurassic World and Book of Henry, um, and is at least somewhat close to it. So says their, their you know, at least this is what they say their source is, right? Um, during the making of Jurassic World, he focused uh, a great deal of his creative energies on asserting his uh, his opinion, uh, but because there had been but because he had been personally hired by Spielberg, no one could say you're fired. Once the film went uh, through the roof, and he chose to do Henry book of henry they're talking about uh trevor was unbearable uh had an egotistical point of view uh and he was always asserting that there's one gatekeeper when it comes to star wars and it's kathleen kennedy uh if you rub kathleen kennedy the wrong way in any way you're out you're done a lot of a lot of these young new directors want to come in and say i want to do this and i want to do that and a lot of these guys lord miller colin trevorrow Got very rich very fast and believed that a lot of and believed a lot of their own hype, uh, and that they don't want or, and they don't want to play by the rules. They want to do shit differently. And Kathleen Kennedy isn't going to fuck around with that, uh, which is just like because she can't <laughs> afford to guys. Right. I mean, part it's of a it four is, billion dollar property. <laughs> right. Um, and here's the thing: at the end of the day, this is a. I like looking at a. Uh, at a Dan Trachtenberg, and obviously I'm very close because I like that guy a lot. But you but, listen to his com- his commentary on Ten Cloverfield Lane. Here's a guy who got a chance, and at every turn is reflecting the attention a- a- away from him and onto the team that backed him up and the people that believed in him. And like that is one of my favorite commentaries in too. years mine because too. he is so transparent and lovable. And those are the people who do great things. The truth is He's the humble. people yeah I mean the people that I actually think are uh, are capable of of making those great films and you look yeah you have your one off your your James Camerons who are reportedly asshole but I also don't think he's that great like his movies to me always fall short in the places where they let they they rest too much on him 
Um, you know, if he's writing and directing and he's not a very good writer, in the end, his movies might look great but read terrible. Um, I, I don't... I trust a lot in somebody like Kathleen Kennedy who's been doing this for a very long time with a, with the best people in the industry. Like, you have an opportunity. You need to really listen to somebody like that and respect that, that she has a lot of knowledge and can help you do something great. This feels very similar to a Josh Trank kind of thing. Where, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is also, I, to me, something that the studio needs to realize they do to themselves. They keep hiring these guys who did a little indie film and giving them a lot of money because they're cheap and they think they have a chance. You know, it's you're rolling the dice thinking like, well, maybe these guys are going to like really hit on something great and make us a lot of money. And sometimes they do. But at the same time, you know, the fact that the guys that have done it before are expensive is because they understand the business more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, the the directors that really started to do that, where they come from indies and started making people notice, are the Tarantinos, the Coens, and the Sam Raimis. Mm-hmm. True. Sam Raimi came from, I, I mean, I think... Soderbergh. His, and Soderbergh. I, I think Raimi, his biggest movie was A Simple Plan. Yeah. And then he went and did Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And what he did is he took what he brings visually and uh camera work wise and made spider-man spider-man mm-hmm. you can't when josh shrank ran into trouble in fantastic four it's because he tried to make it something that it wasn't mm-hmm. and i don't have a problem with dark fantastic four if that's what they want to do right but you have to be able to know your own limitations and re- and reel it in and you know what you also have to take the knots and if your movie ends up being bad and you did everything you could you have to believe you're going to be okay in the end, and mm-hmm. you have to allow the audience to decide whether... I mean, the tr- in my opinion, I tend to see a lot of people defending a director when a movie feels like it was fucked with too much, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, we hear that argument all the time. You have to trust that your audience is going to do that and not throw you under the bus, if if that is what happened. Um, it's very clear that's not what happened to Josh Trank. No. Um, you know, it's, it's just... It's pretty frustrating. And I... And you can't. You can, Kathleen Kennedy is sometimes made out as a bad person in here. She's not a bad person. Yeah. I said it before. She's in charge yeah. of a billion dollar studio. Right. She, what then? The quote says it. What she says goes. Right. You have to understand that you are being hired to produce a vision, your vision, but in their rules. Yeah. You can look at someone. J.J. Abrams understood that with Star Trek and with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. He's going into Star Wars. He's like, this is I know what people like. I'm going to hit on the similar beats what people are aware of, of episode four. But I'm going to cr- shoot them in a new, creative, fun way. And I'm not going to abandon what people come to expect from Star Wars, which is the biggest problem with the, the, the prequels. Yeah. Is the prequels have their moments, but they don't have enough Star Wars moments. But he also he also is... His fingerprints are all over that movie. Right? Oh, absolutely. Like, he finds the places where he gets to, That's he gets what I to mean. make his impact and go, look, I'm going to make a movie that is all about diversity, and I'm going to make these specific choices. And it, I'm sure there are things he wanted to do that he didn't get, but that's okay. I mean, I, Soderbergh is actually, in my mind, a really good example where here's a guy who, yeah, when he has his chance to do an Ocean's Eleven and make a shit Agreed. ton of money, he's going to do it. And then when he wants to go do his little vision and have all the control, he's going to go make the girlfriend experience on a very small budget and if he's lucky and it's you like you know um the truth is that christopher nolan was very similar to that right like he 
went and did those big budget movies, and made a lot a of money, example. and then leveraged his success on the things that he really believed in and made something like a prestige. And because that was successful too, now has Carbon to do whatever the fuck he wants to do, right? Absolutely. That only, he only got that from doing two things. One, being really good at his job, working well with the people around him, and then leveraging what he did have on something he believed in. If in a, in a Trevor situation, situation, right? If Book of Henry, and I have not seen it yet, but if Book of Henry was the prestige, or even the even just good, I love Safety Not Guaranteed. If Book of Henry was as heartfelt and smart and fun as Safety Not Guaranteed, then that guy gets to keep doing whatever he wants, and people are going to listen to your opinion a lot more. But at the same time, you know, and we all know how I feel about Jurassic World. Like I, that guy to me doesn't have the 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 clout to necessarily go be a dick about stuff. Yeah, and nobody should. I'm just saying, like a a a Christopher Nolan, if he's on set and says, "Here's how I'm going to do it," no one's going to fuck with him. Because yeah. he's probably right. There's a there's a great interview on realnerdspodcast.com that we did with Michael Uslid, yeah. who is a producer of Batman for since the eighty nine Batman. He's still doing it. Yeah. Oh, he's he's on everything. Yeah. And he talks about why they um so we interviewed him at the first Denver Comic Con just before the Dark Knight yeah. uh Rises came out. Mm-hmm. And um he mentioned that he said, you know, what you look for is just someone who understands the character and is excited to make the film. Yeah. And with Chris Nolan, they got that person. Right. Cause he's still, you can still see Chris Nolan in those pictures. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But it's still Batman. Yeah. And you know, that's what the same with JJ Abrams and star Wars. That's what they need. Yeah. They can't have some dude who's hot shot and there's like, no, this is my vision. No, right. it's not. No. And especially in this part of the franchise, if you're making rogue one and it's a standalone movie and you've got some stuff you want to do. And, and as long as you're not fucking with the greater picture, but in this case, if here's the worst thing you could do, have JJ Abrams, who's great and works well with people and really loves this thing. And it's a passion project. And he works so hard to make this great film. And then you hire Ryan Johnson, who from the sounds of it has done the exact same thing didn't you know came in and there's something i uh, we already know like there's an easter egg about brick in the movie somewhere like he worked his little stuff in here and there but at the same time he's there to execute some of their vision and you know got to write the fucking thing so clearly has a lot of say and and if you gave that to somebody who then runs that into the ground you're not just making a bad movie and taking a chance you're shitting all over everything that J.J. Abrams and, and Ryan Johnson and the teams that worked on those movies have done. You've got to respect all of that hard work because especially in this case where it's the ninth one and you're ending this new trilogy, you better land that thing right and not spoil all of the goodwill of this story you've built. And, you know, too, just being working together is the original ending of Force Awakens was when Ray was walking up the hill to meet Luke. BB-8 was with her. And Ryan John says, "Hey, can you can you make it R two? Yeah, because I have a plan for BB eight. And JJ Aaron's like, "Yeah, yeah, sure, I don't care. Right? If that's what you want, and that's your vision. That's that's what the kind of like give and take you have to do. And right. Um, and it's just a little example, and that's why we love JJ Abrams. Mm-hmm. And I will say, I was you know, yeah, because I didn't care much for Jurassic World. That scared me. And the other thing is that Ryan Johnson didn't write a treatment for nine, which also really scares me because you know Abrams wrote a treatment for." Well, uh, yeah, Abrams wrote a treatment for 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 eight, so that that way, like Ryan Johnson had an idea of where things should go, um, but he obviously got to write the script, so it's gonna you know feel like Ryan Johnson. And then my hope would be that same sort of thing, right? You work together and you 
whoever is taking that next that that mantle next you work with that person and say like here here's where i'm going here's what i was thinking you get to take it and run with it and i always i just always felt bad that like oh man this just doesn't sound like it's going where i want it to um i knew i was gonna shut my mouth and wait till the movie came out but i'm really glad that the guys that make in the movie now. I want to point um, out Henry called it in the car with me um, uh, a couple weeks ago mm. when we went to go see Good Time. He flat out said, "I think he's getting fired." It had like, he didn't he didn't mince words. He said that flat out. Or, yeah, I mean, and I mean, Henry, correct me if I'm wrong, but <laughs> right, yeah, you know. But I remember the conversation clearly. So yeah, um, uh, yeah. It, this is again, man. Just it's interesting and kind of exciting. I know it. I know it sounds like I'm betraying the entire whole like filmmaker artist vision thing, but guys, guess what? It's a studio movie. It's a property that's been around for 40 years. Just play fucking ball. But at the same time, it is a group thing. Yeah, you are not. You are the captain of a ship. You aren't the whole. Yeah, ship. you can't afford to be auteur theory on Star Wars. That, right. That doesn't fucking. Yeah. That doesn't. That that's that's a no no. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. What else we got, James? Uh, yeah. Uh, Indiana Jones Five is probably coming out in like maybe twenty twenty, and will feature Mutt. Probably <laughs> won't have Shia LaBeouf in it. No one is surprised. Um. Yeah, I, I think that's like kind of all we have. Yeah. But I, uh, I'll, I'll see another one. Yeah. Oh no. I keep I'll, I keep wanting to see more Indiana Jones. I I I I called out Zach for making fun of Crystal Skull. I told him rewatch it. It's not as bad as you think it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I haven't seen it since theaters, so we'll see. Yeah. I, 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 I rewatched it a long time. Of, uh, when did the Blu-ray set come out? Oh. Uh, three or four years ago, yeah. yeah. I, I rewatched it then. I, I still yeah, I remember. I, re- I rewatched it back then, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, I have my problems with it. I also have things that, like, if I watched it today, I would just make sure I wasn't paying attention at the time at at certain <laughs> moments. The monkeys are a big part of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot of CG in that film. Yeah. My hope would be that if if Steven makes it again, especially now that Lucasfilm is free. Uh, maybe we would get the movie we deserve. Yep. So, the I'll say it differently. Maybe we would get the movie Indy deserves. Ooh. Speaking of things that Indy deserves, uh, and that maybe we do, just look at this picture of uh, Alicia Vikander oh, as Laura Croft. Her. Just fucking look at it. Okay, that's all. That's I love all that news. woman. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited. I've been in love with that woman since Ex Machina. <laughs> since I saw her completely naked. No, because <laughs> no, I'm kidding. She's so wonderful in that film. Oh, she's great. and then she's. She's great in everything. I love yeah. that woman. Um, oh, she, it looks so. I'm so excited. I I hope it is an Indiana Jones movie, <laughs> right? Um, uh, the Star Wars movies and the Marvel movies are getting officially pulled off of Netflix um, because Disney is, you know, starting their own streaming service. I don't have to worry about that because I buy physical copies of it. Yeah, I know. I have everything. I the only thing I don't have is Doctor Strange, hmm. um, which is a mistake. That is a mistake. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, it it is what it is. Um, if the truth is, a Disney streaming service has a lot to offer and is its own. Like it's pretty clear what With, they're going to get you. It, so I mean, if the Disney offers things that they would never put on like Blu-ray, or if they have like the Vault, yeah, I would be super stoked. Here's the thing: if you're a family, oh yeah, it's worth the money. Like oh, I agree. It's like there's just so much stuff there. Yeah, because I mean, it's a really smart move on their part. I mean, it's and, brilliant. And, and honestly, uh, Kellen doesn't care if I stream. Oh. cars yeah me i'm like i don't like it. it's not the source isn't as good <laughs> you know i, I want to see like the the glistening in the water but um yeah for convenience like my wife doesn't put discs in mm-hmm. she always streams so yeah i mean if it's eight bucks and i get all the disney i want i'll definitely have it yeah and i hope they just have cartoons that'd be so awesome 
so the um, the rights to distribute James Bond are sort of up in the air right now. Uh, both Apple and Amazon have said like, "Hey, we." They, they, they both really want to spend a lot of money on it, and give it to me. I'll distribute James. Bond. <laughs> yeah, the broccoli you'll, you'll, family's like, yeah, you'll dude. ride your bike around. I don't know who this young American is, but I trust him. <laughs> um, anyway, it's it's a little bit interesting, and I don't know. Um, I, but yeah, it's so weird. Daniel Craig's doing it. I wonder how they got him. Boop boop. Just put the money over there. Yeah. Uh, they, they he's do. great. I love him as James Bond. Yeah, I, I wish he show. would keep I his w- fucking mouth shut when he's not on set. I heard, I he's, I heard he's always grumpy. That's why I yeah. love him as Joe Bang in Logan Lucky, which <laughs> nobody saw, but is amazing. And I he's, want no, a, he's a great actor. I want a Joe Bang spinoff, guys. Yeah, um, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, another James Bond movie is good. So that'd be great. Um, it fe- to me, it feels like it's got that Star Trek thing. So where you know, like every other movie for me is not very good. <laughs> yeah. So the next movie should be great. Yeah, you know we're on the we're on the uptick. So, uh, and the very last thing I have is uh, is just how damn well it is doing at the at the box office. I Holy know. shit, mm-hmm. it's pretty impressive. Um, yeah, sort of uh, biggest about fall earlier, opening but... ever, biggest horror movie opening ever, biggest R rated movie opening ever. No, Deadpool still has that one. Yeah, um, um, like I think that's I think it's second. Oh yeah, rated from. Yeah, um, it, it's pretty. It, to me, it's pretty shocking. I mean. I, I knew the trailers struck a nerve with someone as the most watched trailer in 24 hours in the history of YouTube. Yeah. But to all, see all I, the marketing is amazing. I, it's I'll, I'll talk about, I'll talk about it later, but this movie is pretty fucking dark and, yeah. and to be embraced is as a horror movie fan is pretty shocking to me. I'll just say this. They got me to go see this movie. Yeah. It, <laughs> and, and was kind of excited yeah. was like no i need to go see this this looks like it's gonna be really good i and, have a full dissertation on the impact of this film yeah. you know I, I, I mentioned a few weeks ago when i saw annabelle and they had the opening scene to this film well the opening pennywise scene I to this film idea of how excited people were and it, it, when i watched it and i'm watching people in the theater when i was watching annabelle it struck a chord with people mm-hmm. you know uh the 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 part where he's like, and and you smell what's it called? <gasps> Popcorn! And and people like did that. And even in when I was watching the film, people did that laugh. Yeah. Where they're scared. They're super uncomfortable. They're super uncomfortable. And I, to me, I, I'll, I'll talk about it in the re- review, but I knew that the, the movie was going to strike a chord with people when I saw that. Yeah. And then they started releasing that scene online. I'm like, when people watch that, they're going to want to watch it. Uh-huh. And I mean, it's and you're not revealing too much because it's literally the beginning of the movie. So no, it's and, like and if you, you've read the book, I think it's the first twenty or thirty pages of the yeah. book, if I can remember right. Yeah. Uh, but plus, even if uh, you haven't, like, it's a great way to get people's attention. Oh, yeah. Plus, it's um, a pretty cheap marketing campaign. You just got to buy a big bag of red balloons. <laughs> and I think I think if you if you were making this movie, or if I were making this movie, one of my big things is going to be, you know, if you can get the clown to be scary, that's going to be the hard part because it is so absurd. Um, and it's not 1990 anymore and that, that you kind of have to convince people like, oh no, this is worth paying attention to. And so that's a really great showpiece for showing Bill Skarsgård because there's some great performance oh, there. Yeah. And so you're like, oh we'll shit, later, but... this isn't to be fucked with. Like, this is really something to see. And I think that was a brilliant move on and their I, part to show I, as much. You want a balloon ride? Uh, uh, let me <laughs> let me put it this way. There are other versions of like remakes and this kind of thing where you would have hid the creature or you would have hid the the villain because like in a Darth Vader-esque way like 
you just need to hint at it and people will be excited. Mm -hmm. This wasn't one of those cases. No. This was a case where you needed to show it to people because otherwise they're going to just remember Tim well, Curry and be like, no. oh, yeah, that was that silly thing. Like, whatever, you know. We, we'll have to get into it later, but, like, the clown isn't the only thing, so it's, like, right. it's the most prominent thing, so we can show well, that and yeah. not lose and not shoot our watch. Agreed. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, stay tuned for our review, a um, little taste of it. Um, we also <laughs> like to talk about what movies we buy physically. DVD releases and Blu-rays. So this is Blu-rays that are coming out. <laughs> that was so awkward. <laughs> so you're saying I should get physical with my discs? <laughs> well, if your weenie can fit in it, do it. Uh, so I think it might the hole might be too big for. Aww. Okay, ladies, uh, he is single a, <laughs> for a reason. A <laughs> whole lot of stuff this week, so uh, we'll get started. Uh, Et's getting a 4K release this I week. I could be terrified um, in crystal clear 4K. Yeah, it's the goodness. James edition where it's Et's entire. I'm really I, <laughs> uh, Blade Runner sitting on. I'm going to watch Blade Runner tonight in 4K. I'm Ooh, really excited. Man, I think we might awesome. be talking about Blade Runner here in a little bit. We might um it comes at night is out on blu-ray this week really want to see that uh, yeah which looks really cool i'm i'm, I'm excited to, get to be clear to that is it. not an it prequel no <laughs> uh, or sequel um the mummy the tom cruise film is oh, getting its blu-ray release this week oh do you cool. such, a, such a wasted opportunity that he didn't run with bandages in his hand uh, he oh. did he did run a lot in it though um this is one that i missed so i'm uh, i'm kind of excited to get a chance to see it it's got uh it's got that lady from the atomic blonde in it charlie Theron. nope uh, Captain <laughs> Underpants, the first epic movie. Yeah, uh, which is a very ballsy way to title your film, um, but also from what I've heard was really good. Mm -hmm. So Cute. yeah. Oh, did you? Oh yeah. You, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Kellen liked it. Yeah. Um, and that's all the certification <laughs> we need, guys. <laughs> uh, oh, oops. I oh, I had Mummy open twice. Uh, there's a movie called The Big Knife getting a release from Arrow Academy, um, which just kind of looks cool. Uh, it's some old. Robert Aldrich movie. Um, okay. So maybe that. Uh, Silicon Valley Season 4 is out on Blu-ray this week, so you can check that out. There That's a cool show. Um, the Mummy Returns is getting a 4K Blu-ray release this week, uh, though I didn't see the regular Mummy. It may have been there, but... Um, Friday Night Lights is getting... The complete series is getting a Blu-ray release this week, which is an amazing show. If you have not ever had a chance to watch Friday Night Lights... Um, you it's know. got Kyle Chandler in it. Yeah, it's really good. Man, he's so good. Uh, Dracula Untold is getting a 4K release, <laughs> which I only talk about because Fucking that movie is finally. <laughs> kind of ridiculously okay. Uh, I think it's pretty That movie fun. is pretty okay. Until um, that very end. <laughs> so no, I, I'm like, ah, God, cinematic universe. That's a thing that uh, similarly uh, Van Helsing is getting a Blu-ray release this week. Uh, and I closed it because I was like, well, yeah, but it's fucking Van Helsing. Like, whatever. Uh, I drug my mother to see that movie. She was furious. <laughs> uh, and I had already seen it. I should have known better. Um, That's fun. It's one of those times I learned a lesson. <laughs> um, but you know what she would love is Albert Abbott and Costello's Meet the Mummy, uh, which is getting a Blu-ray release this week. Yeah. Uh, if you're starting to hear a theme uh, on the releases this week, uh, it might not be. Or it might be obvious. We call this week Mummy Dearest. <laughs> Uh, the 4K release of Get Out is this week as well. So if you didn't already buy the Blu-ray, glad um, I held out. Now I can get yeah, it. Yeah, you should. Way, uh, so I'll you have should jump. The best way possible. Uh, I don't know if this is. I think this has had a, a Blu-ray release before. Primal Fear is out on Blu-ray uh, this week. I think it has, but I think it's bare bones. Maybe yeah, this has got features on it. Yeah, this one looks kind of cool. Um, and that's a neat movie mm -hmm. that people should see. Uh, okay, here comes the big run. So, um. Are these? Oh yeah, there's yeah, they're uh, they're Best Buy exclusive steelbook editions of The Mummy, uh the original The Mummy from 1932, um Frankenstein, 
on in Steelbook, The Bride of Frankenstein on Steelbook, Dracula on Steelbook, The Wolfman on Steelbook, and The Creature from the Black Lagoon all on I lo- Steelbook. I love that one. I know. Yeah. That's my favorite that's, one. That's the best one. You know, uh, The Invisible Man looks pretty great, too. Yeah. I'm torn because oh, yeah. Sorry, I missed that Ryan's one. wonderful Best Buy stories of the past couple of weeks, <laughs> I really don't want to deal with them ever. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. But I want, I want that... I want that their thing, guys. <laughs> yeah, that, that Creature of the Black Lagoon one is is really cool. It's a very Jaws-esque looking cover with the legs and then the, the creature coming up uh, underneath. So that's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Um, this week, uh, released from Arrow, is Eric the Conqueror, uh, which looks kind of neat. Uh, oh, close. Hold on. There we go. Uh, why does this move from 1961? Eric the Conqueror. I don't know. It's just a cool old looking poster. Uh, Poltergeist, the 2015 edition or the 2015 film, is getting a, another release this week. I still haven't seen it. Yeah, I don't know why. It's not that um, good. I don't know. It like the cover here is kind of a cool cover, so but it doesn't say anything. I'm not sure if it's a. Uh, that kind of sucks, like given special... the fact that Ramy produced it. But yeah, or is it? It's it Ghost House's production well, company. Yeah, it's a Ramy one. Yeah, yeah. Um, bad. It's just. It's there. It's there. The second to last thing I have this week is the Scream Factory release of The Resurrected. That's an old one. Death used to be the end. And now it's just the beginning. Is this Ben Stiller? No, it's Chris Sarandon. Are you sure that's Ben Stiller? <laughs> I'm pretty positive that's a painting it's of Chris Ben Sarandon. Stiller. <laughs> I, I have seen this. It also stars Jane Sibbett, who mm-hmm. I only know from uh, Friends, played Ross's wife. Um, oh, cool. It's an all right movie. It's directed by Dan O'Bannon, who wrote Alien and directed Return of the Living Dead. Yeah. So, you know, it's... So, it's a little zany. Um, these crosses in the background look like... Oh, there's there's plants on them. The, 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 the like, headstones in the back that are shaped like crosses, they've got, like, like plants sitting on them, and it makes them look like weird stone cactuses. That doesn't play on the podcast, but it looks funny to me. Uh, and the most important thing isn't coming out this week, but I still want to talk about it so that everybody can pre-order their copy of Firefly, the complete series on Blu-ray. Because go. holy shit, this collector's edition looks amazing. It's, it's not that expensive. I think it's like 20 It's $20 bucks? on Amazon right now. Uh, it's not this week. It's the week after this. It's the 19th. Um, but holy shit. I did look through, because I, I, I thought I had heard that there was a 4K Serenity coming up. Um, it's not that same week, or at least not mm-hmm. on Blu-ray.com yet. Um, but I'm sure we'll talk about it next week when we talk about all the yeah. again. Forget, remember to pre-order your Porky Pig. It's uh, five, 101. 101, five-disc DVD set. Um, it's now dropped to $36 for pre-order, and it was originally 50 bucks. So guess who like bit the bullet and pre-ordered yeah i need yeah. more based on ryan's I need, goading <laughs> yep I, need, I know i sent him a text with like the screenshot i'm like you should probably just order it yeah yeah <laughs> he's like fine <laughs> <laughs> oh that's leave cool. me alone <laughs> a lot of really really good stuff this week man i i would buy i mean there's there's things i didn't even talk about like uh hatari is getting a blu-ray release and uh yeah anyway anyway there's there's some cool stuff out there so cool we also watch movies throughout the week in a segment we call what you been watching so uh yeah this is the stuff we've been watching james what you watch this week man it's actually been a while um so I'm, i'm trying to remember um some of the bigger things i would say are i uh last weekend i was up in the in the mountains um and got a chance to show Brooks, uh, to my, my fiance, to show Brooks my... Who? Or, or, whatever. Anyway, uh, to show her uh, Blade Runner. 
Nice. Uh, because the new one is coming out real close to my birthday. And so since she's going to have to go see it, I figured you should see this movie, uh, which was kind of nerve wracking because it's one of those things where like it's Blade Runner and it's a weird movie that not everybody like uh, not appreciates. But like whether or not you're whether or not I knew she was going to like watch it and be like, yeah, that was pretty cool. Whether or not she watched it was like, yes, I actually enjoyed my time and don't, you know, um, and uh, yeah, she really liked it. It was actually pretty funny. Um, so spoilers for Blade Runner, um, <laughs> but, uh, she knew nothing going in, n- mm. n- nothing about robots. She was like Harrison Ford and the cover's got an origami on it. Uh, like that's all she knew and some, sp- some sci-fi. And so <laughs> I prepped it with like, you know, you need to know a few things about this. Like, uh, I, anytime we're watching a movie together, I'm like, okay, directed by Ridley Scott, who, you know, I care a lot about and. He he did these other things, right? So that's always kind of cool. Here's where he was in his in, in his career at the time. James holds up a copy of A Good Year and goes, "This is his best work." <laughs> <laughs> uh, we don't talk about A Good Year, um, but uh, there was a dark time. Um, and uh, anyway, and then I was and I just told her a little bit about like, okay, you're watching an edition. Like basically, the movie has been cut a number of times. There's a, there's a lot of rockiness to this to, to this movie's story, but you're watching the correct edition of this film, um, and that's all she knew going in. And so afterwards, we're sitting there talking, and and there were a couple of really great moments that, uh, as we're watching it, where like at one point she uh, she goes like, "Oh man, I really love how they're like I want to know how they're doing this thing where they're making like her eyes like reflect red, you know, the way that like some animals do." And she's like, "But it's funny because every time every now and then they screw up, and and Harrison Ford's will do it too." <laughs> and I was silent, <laughs> did not say a word, just like and just like, just like going like, <laughs> "Yeah, I know." And uh, and so the end of the movie happens, and we're sitting there talking. And she was like, "Yeah, that was really interesting. Like this was cool, and uh, blah blah blah." And and we're sort of talking about sort of the existential questions about like you know. Here's these people who are robots, and you know they're just so realistic. And 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 we're talking about how amazing that that last speech from Rutger Hauer is. And and here's this moment when this guy who's been your villain the whole time, and yeah, he's done bad things, but he has this incredibly human moment at the end. Um, and somewhere along there, she she finally makes this comment where she's like, yeah, because I mean, you know, how does Harrison Ford know that he's not a robot? And there was just quiet. And she looked at me and she goes. Oh shit! Like, cause she could see on my face that she had hit it, and I was like, "Okay, so here's the thing about Blade Runner." <laughs> uh, and then I, of course, went through the whole story of like, "Okay, so here's the, and and they shot that scene, and then Harrison Ford was like, Fuck you, Ridley,' and you know, um, and you, that's Ridley. when I think she realized like, this is why you care about this movie. And I, you know, afterwards, it, it's interesting because it's one of those films that, you know, I've spent the last 15 years studying this movie and I'll watch every YouTube video I can about it. And so it's, it's almost one of those unfair things. And it's, it's always a struggle when you watch a movie that you, that you are passionate about that way with somebody, um, because you want them to have that pretty pure first experience. But at the same time, once they open the door, you're like, well, I interviewed the guy who literally wrote the book on Blade Runner. Uh, <laughs> so let me tell you about all the things that Paul M. Salmon told me, right? Like yeah. it's really hard to not just like unload all of this it's, stuff. It is always scary. Every time I show someone army of darkness, it's like, right. Are, are they going to get it? Like I get it. Right. Do they understand this movie isn't serious? And even if they get like, your hope <laughs> is that they just get it enough, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're never going to want, like nobody's ever going to watch, especially right. Like, one of the other ones coming up is going to be when, when she and I finally watch Kingdom of Heaven together, which is a, a tall ask because yeah. the truth is if I do it right, 
I want her to watch the four-hour cut of Kingdom of Heaven. And when that movie's over, I'm going to want to sit down and talk about why that movie is so important to me. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be a two-hour conversation about what that movie means to me and how important it was in my life at that time and, and these little things about what, what you know, and I, I should just write the book at some point, um, these little <laughs> things about how watching Ridley Scott go through all of this stuff has been really important to me. Um, but it's just, it, it can be. You, 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 no one... No one's going to get to the goal that first time when it's something like that that you have studied brilliantly. Hey, Zach, you, I heard you saw Blade Runner. Who told you? <laughs> anyway, that's Who squealed? What, what I was leading up to was. Um, um, yeah, so I saw Blade Runner for the first time. Um, how did you like it? Well, to preface it really quickly. So you loaned me the Blu-ray a while back, <laughs> right? but I never got around to watching it. Yeah. Um, and so I gave it back to you saying, like, I- I- when I'm ready, I'll let you know. Well, the 4K restoration got done, and they decided to screen it at the Alamo Draft House um, in Littleton. I don't know if they – I think they did Sloan's Lake, too. Um, but yeah, I, I decided, so. like, oh, fuck. Well, it's only going to cost me 10 bucks, and I can see it in 4K, and – on a big screen and then I can always say, yeah, I saw Blade Runner on a big screen. And so like I, uh, I, I, I long story short, I ended up going with Brad cause there was a mistake involving our yeah. situation. Sorry. Um, but, uh, so Brad and I went, um, so I get it. <laughs> I get why you like it. I oh, really yeah. do. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I'm not this movie's biggest fan. Sure. And I think th- there's the reason why is because before I saw Blade Runner, I saw a bunch of movies that was in- that were inspired by Blade Runner. Oh yeah. And some of them, I can't really think of any offhand in particular. Um, every that, sci-fi film after <laughs> not not ev- not everyone no, but it, it's it's 100 percent true right but, but like minority so, report yeah minority report or like you know total I mean, recall yeah oh yeah oh absolutely. total recall but like so because uh, paycheck i'm just kidding i ai um, yeah, um I, actually, yeah, I, was, I was trying to do irobot yeah um so also me, wa- me walking into it i kind of like when the story kicked in with the with the prologue, fifth element. Well, that that's don't compare trash to but treasure. No, no, also true though. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm just pointing out all the, the movies similarity. it's influenced. Yeah. yeah, but so anyway, I'm walk I, when I when the title crawl opens up with like this is the future and this is what's going on. I'm like, oh, it's one of these movies. Atomic okay, blonde. But that's the thing. Like, I yeah, ha- fuck I, yeah. Sorry, I, I have to. Uh, point out that like the reason this movie doesn't impact me the way it does other people is because I should have watched it before I watched everything else Yep. because I don't appreciate I didn't appreciate it on the onset for what it achieved at the time yeah. as a film it is a it's a tight sci-fi story that's got very it's solid performers especially Rutger Hauer um, oh, hell yeah I mean Ford's good don't get me wrong and um, but just Hauer is incredible Daryl yeah. Hannah's really good in this movie too for fuck's yeah. sake um, and uh, I the the 4k restoration looked beautiful like the, the visual effects fucking hold up brilliantly mm-hmm. um, like it's as if those Ridley Scott knows what he's doing um, and I, I I liked it and then I liked it enough that I can say, yes, it is essential viewing. I don't know outside of Blade Runner 2049 when I'm going to watch it again. Sure. Because I, I 
I think it ta- it's a different type of commitment that I'm not used to to sit down and watch it um, for some reason because it's it's a it's, there's parts of it that feel like a tone poem to me. There's like long. St- I mean, I'm not. I like silent cinema enough, but there's long stretches of silence where it's like it, it's it's forcing you to sit down and interpret what's going on. Like it, you're not being spoon fed anything by Ridley Scott in this movie. Oh yeah. Um, which leads me to the ending. So. This movie ended for me one of two ways. One, he's a replicant or he's not. But I think because of that and because the final cut is his definitive version, it gives me worries about what Blade Runner 2049 is going to be. And the only reason that I am so confident in its ability to prove me wrong is because a i've been hearing that it's it's been screened for people and people love it but two is is that i trust ridley scott enough to have motivated uh, denny villain the way they to uh to to take the story where it should go Mm. um but again like i think it's stronger technically if deckard is a replicant because it's a self-aware story, like it, it, or it becomes a movie about being self-aware. If he's not a replicant, though, it's still a good movie because then it means that he's found a way to like consume his life in a more healthier fashion. Um, but um, I thought it was a good film. I just don't think it's as special to me as it is to other people. Oh, I'm glad I saw it though. Yeah. Um, and also I. There's this, you know, this, the final speech Rutger Hauer gives of I seen things that you people wouldn't believe. Oh, so good. The first time I ever saw that clip Tears in, 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 a, in, a, in anything was on The Daily Show when Jon Stewart was making up fake names for CNBC shows. And one of them was How Are Your Stocks Doing with Rutger Hauer? <laughs> and, like, and, it, and he shows that clip and then it follows up with Jon Stewart going like, I guess that's a sell. <laughs> so that was my introduction to Blade Runner was Jon Stewart. <laughs> wow. um, so, yeah, I, I would say go watch Blade Runner, especially if you're going to go to 2049, because I think if you walk into 2049 without seeing the first Blade Runner, you're going to be scratching your head for a good chunk of that movie. I, my theory is my theory. The so the the thing I will say is that um, while while Ridley Scott is very firm that he's a replicant, uh, I will I will argue till the day I die that he's wrong. Um, that the film itself does not tell you whether he's a replicant or not. All it does is ask the question, give you hints one way or the other, and as a result opens the real point of the film for the last 30 years has been that it doesn't matter yeah um oh yeah what you should come to is or not that it completely doesn't matter but it should ask that question of you know when when technology gets to a point where the where that line is blurred you know it's supposed to swing you back the other way and realize that that rudker hauer is not your terrible villain and that there's a lot more to it. Like, it's supposed to, you know, unsettle you to some degree. Now, it's very obvious that they have to go with the he's probably a replicant version uh, in the next film or or just leave the question open because it's, I mean, what you see, having now seen the movie when you go watch that trailer and there's that moment where Ryan Gosling shows up and says, like, I have some questions to ask you, that sentence means so much more when you've seen Blade Runner mm-hmm. because you know what he really means. And so yeah. very clear, very quickly, the 
the plot of Blade Runner 2049 of here's this guy who might be a Blade Runner or might, might be a replicant and he's still alive yeah. uh, and has gotten old and what that would mean to that universe and asking that question. And maybe whether it's that they say yes early on and then that's the plot of the movie or the question is that he also doesn't know. Because we also don't know that, that Rachel has a four-year lifespan on her. Right. Um, you know, we know that about Rutger Howard's character, but um, uh, what's his face? Sean Young? Uh, no, well, yeah, but, um, oh, gosh, the, the the corporation that whose name I now can't remember. Terrell um, Corporation. Terrell, yeah. Terrell doesn't say that she does. He's got her sitting around. Like, mm-hmm. he clearly made her special. It's entirely possible that that she doesn't have that lifespan on her, and and what that would mean for for you know the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I'm not terribly uh, concerned about it. I will also just say that that movie, because I I agree with you. That was one thing that I left out that I sort of prefaced it with. You know, um, this is something that you should know. You're gonna watch Blade Runner, and you got to put yourself in that point of view that no one had seen this before, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what. Ridley Scott and Douglas Trumbold and everybody who worked on the visual effects of that movie did, um, and just creating this world that feels so lived in and, and dirty and real, like, was this amazing watershed moment for science fiction visually. Um, that you, you just have to watch it and, and at least be able to appreciate, like, oh, okay, cool, this is really important. And I would argue it, most uh, so many people have tried to steal and so few people have succeeded. You know? I, I agree, and, like the sad part was is that as I was watching it with that mind frame, I was also watching it with the other mind frame, and so it kind of created oh, of a conflict course. of interest. But a side note, though, uh, between Blade Runner and Gladiator, Ridley Scott is really good at shooting scenes where sons kill their fathers. <laughs> I'm just saying. <coughs> Prometheus. <coughs> yeah, Prometheus. I'm just saying, and he does it with a high well, angle. Actually, the other way, but yeah. He, I, he does it in a high angle in the corner, yeah. and I'm like, Fuck man, like he's just obsessed with this image. I don't know if he has multiple paintings that he does in his basement that are dedicated to this scenario, but yeah. he's really good at it, man. <laughs> if you want to hear a great interview with a historian of Blade Runner, go to Real Nerds Podcast and look under the archives in the Telluride Horror Show. We interviewed the guy who wrote the definitive book on Blade Runner, and yeah. he talks to James about that. Is not Philip K. Dick? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, he didn't write the definitive version of Blade Runner. No. <laughs> um, Oh, I would also point out, uh, you should go, a few years ago, Harry Knowles from Ain't It Cool News got to do a, a pretty long interview with Douglas Trumbold. Um, had him on, I, I think, two different videos with Douglas Trumbold. It was a fantastic interview. You should go talk to that guy. If you don't know who he is, he's the guy who, the whole the whole closing section of um, of... Uh, 2001 with with all the lights, you know, shooting towards you and all that, which mm-hmm. is all done actually in camera. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who made that happen and figured yeah, out how to do all that. Guy. Um, mm-hmm. absolutely incredible genius. Um, big fan of like high frame rate photography. Um, but still really interesting interview. You should go check it out. Cool. Oh, uh, sorry. And I also the only other thing I want to talk about is that uh, Rick and Morty is back. Um, first season's like five episodes in. And Did you get Swifty? It's maybe the best so far. Like, Did I mean, you like obviously, Rick? half of oh, it's funny. Everybody talks about Pickle Rick. Pickle Rick is a great episode. Um, where in that episode, Rick, in order in order to avoid going to therapy, turns himself into a pickle, and then the family gets mad at him and leaves him there, uh, having taken the antidote with them, and so he spends the rest of the episode like as a pickle building himself like little robotic arms so that he can fight off an army of rats 
that are trying to eat him because he's a pickle, and it's ridiculous. But what is great about about Rick and Morty, as dumb as it may seem on the surface, like you know, this season's really fucking dark, um, and like the emotional stuff that they're dealing with. I mean, even that, right? Like he's he's avoiding therapy, turns himself into a pickle, and then the the result is all of this shit he goes through simply because he's not willing to sit down and have a conversation with his with his daughter and and her kids mm-hmm. um is like this really dark and twisted thing this season's been amazing um i think they're six episodes in and it's it's just wonderful so i don't know go watch them rick and morty i've seen i've seen the first two seasons i like it enough to continue it yeah that's great zach um so uh, outside of uh who um do androids dream of electric sheep uh volume 1 um <laughs> I, again, they should have just called it that because it's. I, I think it's a really good I title. think Blade Runner is a good title. I think Androids and Electric Sheep is an even cooler title. Yeah. Um. So aside from that, though, um, I rewatched Quiz Show because it was on Netflix, and um, dude, R- Redford. I I guess I haven't really dissected Redford as a director, the way I've seen him as an actor, and he's really fucking good, guys. He's pretty good. I don't know if you know this. Um, I need to rewatch Ordinary People and probably The Natural again to. Mary Tyler um, Moore. Yeah. Um, but uh, Quiz Show, what I love is like, and I and I listed my reasons on Facebook, is like, one, he makes John Turturro both incredibly sympathetic and incredibly terrible all at one moment um, in, in one particular scene where he's dealing with the main FBI agent um, who's, or like, a, he's working for a, a subcommittee that's investigating the Quiz Show. Um, the other is is that, like, uh, he takes a he takes a point in history that isn't talked about and reads it to you as if though it is an essential textbook read that you must read in order to pass your high school class. Um, but three, and this is going to, I don't know if it's going to unnerve James or not, but so Martin Scorsese plays a role in the movie. And I think in a strange way, his role is the most important part of the third act Hmm. because he has a scene with the subcommittee investigator where he lays down essentially what television sponsorship is, how television works, especially in that era, and breaks down the point of the story for you without spoon-feeding you anything. He says it as bluntly as he can without, like, giving you a picture book with pop-up images, you know? And it could have probably gone to any actor who looked like a sleazeball, like, I don't know, like the fucking... The like the guy who played um like the uh, the detective the sleeveball detective in uh Batman eighty nine or whatever mm, but the yeah, bottom yeah. line is it's coming from Scorsese is that his delivery of that is so effective because he's one he's slowing down his speech because he usually talks very fast but two is just like he's drawing a line between lack of empathy and like lack of humanity like between one or the other side and i think he's like delivering it in such a way that you're not really noticing it on the onset but if you rewatch it i think you'll see that scorsese one of the reasons he's a great director is because he might also be a really good actor too he's been around a lot of them, and yeah and, sure. well that's true but i think and i think that putting him in the role it's it, i wouldn't have expected it but it works like and it, and i think part of it is like the people who are going in and know who he is it's a treat for them, but then you also get to see how, like, Redford makes the decision of, like, let's take somebody who's experienced at this job of making entertainment and put him in the position to reveal to everybody, like, yeah, we're fucking around with you. Because that's pretty, pretty much what the business does sometimes. 
um, in, in this case being the 1960s. So it's a great movie. It's still on Netflix. I really recommend you check it out with a new eye. Um, and it was also nominated for Best Picture back in 94, so it's yeah. among the best films of that year, according to the Academy. So if you need that inspiration. As as much as I love A River Runs Through It, mm-hmm. like, Quiz Show is the best thing he's made, I think. Um, okay. Now, I haven't. I still haven't seen The Conspirator, but I don't. it, it didn't make a huge splash. Um, Ordinary People's really good, too. Yeah. But, I mean, yes, I haven't seen but, it in a while, but it's very good. Um, quiz, quiz show is and some of it is just a quiz show is the kind of movie that i i like you know um right that yeah that film is great so cool anything else um no yes i have a couple of others so i watched angels with dirty faces again hmm. um it's a james cagney pat o'brien movie from 1938 directed by michael curtis who also directed casablanca um and uh i think that's among the uh so like i I love the petrified forest and I know we've talked about it before that, which was Humphrey Bogart's like big break. Mm-hmm. I think angels with dirty faces is technically the best gangster movie to come out of that era hmm. because, and I think James would like it more than most people hmm. um, because like, well, one, it's got a, it's got a, it's got a faith element to it. It's got a spiritual religious element to it, um, which is very strong in the script. Um, bec- and it walks, a, it walks a certain line with morality. Um, it's also very well acted, very well directed. It's it's probably like next to Petrified Force, it's my favorite gangster movie to come out of that era because it's that strong. And I think it's my favorite Jimmy Cagney performance of all time, certainly. Cool. Um, and uh, so um, went ahead and watched that. Um, I started watching the first season of Taxi because <laughs> um, oh. I got the DVD from work. Um I, I've always watched Taxi, but I've never like been the biggest fan. So I watch like sit down and pay attention. Yeah. yeah, so I'm watching it, and I love Andy Kaufman's Latka, obviously, and yeah. uh, that's uh, all well and fine. But Danny DeVito's great on that fucking right, show. So, yeah, you know, it's a, there's a reason why he's still uh-huh. why when I watched It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, I can make the connection back and go like he's always been this good. <laughs> um, so um, there's uh, that going for it. Um, I rewatched Salem's Lot in honor uh, in honor of Toby Hooper. Um, yeah, I know. I'm getting that look from you. I actually like it a lot. It's all right. I mean, for a, for a, t- for a TV for a t- movie. Yeah, for a TV movie where they can't do a lot of oh. what they should be doing. <laughs> that was made for TV? Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. I didn't realize But that. it was so well received that it was packaged together and released theatrically in Europe. Oh, okay. Um, so it technically has it's it's weird. It's kind of like an Ingmar Bergman situation. I, I I'm also I'm not a I don't I don't like the 90s it either. I haven't seen that one. Um, but I I kind of curious now just on the tim curry performance not necessarily yeah. everyone else um especially to compare it to bill skarsgård yeah when you go back and like just look at any screenshot from that thing you're like this is so 90s tv yeah like there wasn't any money here yeah um and the only other thing that i watched this week was silence um martin scorsese silence great how did you like silence okay so um you're wrong last week <laughs> Um, well, I'm going to go right off the bat and say I think this is among Scorsese's masterpieces. Good job. Um, now, here's the thing. <laughs> I think all three of his spiritually based films have been masterpieces. Cool. Because of the way he approaches religion mm-hmm. is that, A, he's not he's not pandering to any audience. Agreed. Um, is one element of it. I mean, and again, I really want you to watch Last Temptation of Christ at some point. I will. So that you can dissect that and how it compares to silence especially Mm. because the way silence so silence is about two um jesuits who um are sent off to japan to um reclaim one of their um other 
pas- uh, pastors. I'm trying to remember like exactly what their title is, but he's a priest. He has a priest yeah. um, who has uh, apparently recanted his faith. Yeah, and so they go to seek him out, and what ends up happening is it goes through more or less two hours of Christian torture porn. Um, but but <laughs> that's what Henry called it. I feel like that's but, a little bit. But, but, uh, but unlike something unfair. like the Passion of the Christ. There is purpose behind every action that is going on that benefits the story. And um, I, will, I almost in a worse way, the torture to me is more emotional than it is like while you see people get tortured, it is not quite as brutal as I certainly as Passion of the Christ. Right. It's not but, that. It's, but it's more psychologically yes. um, uh, effective. Um, oh, yeah. I think that Andrew Garfield is amazing in this film. And I think the ending is incredible because yeah. there's a character and I can't remember his name, but he. He essentially betrays um, Garfield and Driver's character over um, uh, and oh, over and over and over, and over again, and he keeps asking to get forgiven. Yeah. And by the time we get to the end, spoiler alert: Garfield. Well, Garfield says flat out, "I can't because I'm not a priest anymore." Yeah. But what it says within those moments is that it's kind of goes back to Kevin Smith in dogma which is like it's kind of not doesn't matter what you believe in as long as you have faith to a degree but also like the idea that he's crying out for an answer of should I recant for the sake of saving other people um or is that or is that the ultimate blasphemy is to give up in the face of danger Hmm. I think there's so much going on in this film I definitely want to watch it again um Liam Neeson's great in it too um I mean, he's 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 pretty minimal in the movie, but when he's on screen, he's effective. Yeah. Um, the Japanese actors are great too. Um, I I mean, sadly, I don't remember their names, but yeah. Uh, uh, Driver's really good too. I mean, like you know, it's got a solid cast. Yeah. Um, and this is, I think, amongst the most beautifully shot Scorsese movies. Mm. Um, I would. The only other one in terms of like its beauty that I would compare it to might be The Aviator or um, um, Kundun. Um, yeah, and maybe Last Temptation of Christ, but like it's clear that like, sadly, this probably should have been nominated for more Oscars. But I'm glad it did get the nomination where it got it, which is cinematography. Yeah, so that um, that's kind of like uh, a nice consolation prize. I think it's good. I think you should check it out. I I ordered the Blu-ray right after watching it because I just knew I'm just gonna rewatch this film. Yeah, I mean that that whole story with Kichijiro, the the guy who keeps betraying them. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that on its own is just this beautiful sort of story of grace where, like, every time Kichichiro comes back, like, he keeps blessing him, but, like, he wrestles with it a different way each time, right? Because, like, yeah. he is this vessel, um, and, like, that that story is, is, is wonderful, and I think part of why I love it so much is that it, and, and why I appreciate what Scorsese does here is, like, he treats... He treats it with a with a uh, like a weight like like a realism um, and and makes the doubt be something really tangible mm-hmm. um, that I think is just beautiful. I mean, like that he puts that character in a situation where there is genuinely no good answer, and when you hear, I don't want to say too much, but when he when he gets some direction on where he should go and what he should do, mm. it is this beautiful release. Yes. Um, and what that means, like it's something to wrestle with. 
and I not not like that's not a movie that gives you answers. And I'll be completely honest, it's a movie that to me is far more powerful than something like Passion of the Christ can ever be. Um, unfortunately, because that's a movie that has something to say and is very specific. You know, the best moment of Passion of the Christ is the moment at the, at the beginning in the in the in the garden where where jesus is in doubt and the devil shows up and you're like oh this is great and then the rest of the movie is just what it is Mm -hmm. this is a movie that honestly lives in that first 10 minutes like it's it is just painful and questions and it's it's beautiful and that's why i and that's why i i i furthermore will state again that you need to watch last temptation of christ because i think you'll get the movie you're talking about almost to a t yeah now, granted, you are dealing with a with a story that is ultimately a big what if. Oh yeah, of course. But the way he handles the what if, first of all, is mostly near the end of the film. But this film deals with what you're talking about—the potential of Passion of the Christ—in a much more realistic way. Yeah. And I feel that Scorsese does this a lot in his films, where he he deals with these questions that are hard to answer on the most basic level mm-hmm. and he's done it with a lot of films like goodfellas kind of does it too to an extent um with henry hill coming to terms with the fact especially near the end that he's gonna have to live the rest of his life as a schmuck um and like in other places i think i mean even the aviator does it too um and the shutter island does it and telegraphs it very directly <laughs> so um but yeah um and then i mean other than that um, oh my god! Watched a little bit of Jack Benny, and that was it. So, <laughs> daily, daily are, are we done talking about yeah. fucking Jesus? Jesus! Whoa! No, we're not. Apologize talk- to my mother. I'm, I'm not sorry, done. Carol. I'm not. Do- <laughs> I'm not done talking about how I'm fucking Jesus. Whoa! Whoa. <laughs> god, man, what the? Why do I hang out with y'all? Come and get me. <laughs> anyway, because we're cool. awesome. Ryan, what'd you watch this week? Um, well, I'm going to go back a little bit. I watched a few things. I watched the new um, Adam Scott movie on Netflix called Little Evil. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it's directed by the guys, the guy who did uh, Tucker and Dell. It's got uh, uh, my lady in it. It's yeah, got, uh, Evangeline Lilly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not that good, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> there are some funny bits in it. Uh, it. The basic premise is is Adam Scott plays stepdad. a stepdad whose kid is the Antichrist. Cool. And... In these moments, I'm supposed to set up that it's funny. It's really just not that funny. Oh, um, it, it, there. Th- I like Evangeline Lilly in it. Be, uh, Evangeline Lilly because she plays the mom who's kind of oblivious to it all, and so she kind of lives in this bubble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it's funny. And they have this really funny, like stepdad group therapy scene with all these great uh, comedians in it. And this one uh, is talking about how his stepson took a shit in the top drawer of his dresser. But how it was situated, it was like he was grabbing onto the mirror and shitting into it and looking at himself while he was shitting. <laughs> the way he describes it's really funny. Uh, the rest of the movie, though, is, is actually I was pretty disappointed uh, because I love Tucker and Dell versus Evil. Mm-hmm, and yeah. this one is just... And there's some funny parts in it, but it's, I was disappointed. Yeah. Uh, well, that's too bad. Yeah. Uh, so that, that one was all right. Um, I also watched a movie called Vicious Lips, which is a Scream Factory release. With these punker rock chicks who go are picked to do a gig all the way across the galaxy, and they have to get there. And on their way there, their rocket ship breaks down. So the cover of it, I bought solely on the cover. And on it, there's like this monster who's in the foreground, and he's like making like Hulk 
flexing thing. Uh-huh. And in between, it's these like punk rock chicks who have guns. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, fuck, yeah, they're going to crash on a planet and just shoot monsters. Nope. They crash on this planet, and there's some vampire monster thing that's always banging on like the door to get out. And he gets out underneath, and he there's like tons of shots of him running through the bowels of the ship and just going while the girls like infight. Um, so what I loved about streets of fire definitely isn't same thing with vicious lips. Oh, okay. I will say this though about it. It is kind of fun because it's so stupid. Uh, the music in it is actually not that bad. And I always love movies that take place in the future, but they're firmly stuck in the eighties. Uh, you know, the girls have big poofy hair and wearing shoulder pads and, uh, the dude is wearing a tie that has a diamond on it. It's just, uh, it, it's, it's an all right movie. It's, it's produced. I don't know if you know who Charles band is, but he's a really big, like B movie producer, kind of like Roger Corman. Hmm. And he ran a th- company called empire and he went on to do full moon, which is a horror. And they did, he does puppet master and things like that. Now, um, like I, I love his subspecies set uh, series. It's like maybe the, that and Castle Freak are maybe the most serious and best movies he made. But he had this um, company called Empire, and there's uh, maybe a 15-minute interview with him on this disc. Yeah. And he's talking about the movie, and he says, yeah, we used to make movies just we'd, uh, to get funding for them. Because, I mean, maybe a million dollars to make this movie. What they would do is they'd hire an artist to make a poster mm-hmm. and come up with a name. And, he's like, and then we'd write a movie around it. Sounds so, like canon. So it it worked because I literally bought this movie because I thought the cover was awesome. Uh, the movie's all right. Uh, nothing great, nothing too bad. Mm-hmm. It just kind of exists in a hokey 80s world. Right. Um, so it was all right. I, I also watched the, the Love Witch, which is the movie that Brad and Henry talked about, about a witch, and it has like a 70s aesthetic to it. Cool. Uh, the movie's okay. Now, I, I agree with Brad. I think it looks really nice. But it's two hours long, and it feels like it's three. Mm-hmm. And not that the performances are bad. It looks great. It's just the pacing. The pacing's bad in it. Yeah. Uh, so that was a, kind of a disappointment. I watched Baywatch, starring Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Ooh, yeah. And <laughs> I like the Rock. Yeah, he's great I, in it. I like uh, what's her face. Yeah, I like, uh, I like Alexandria Daddario. She's great in it. Yep. Um, I like I, I like the movie? short guy, Zach Efron. Yeah, <laughs> the short guy. I well, think he's next to the rock. Everybody's short. Yeah. So the movie's actually pretty funny. Okay. But it's just it, like it doesn't come together. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yes. Yeah, not as tightly assembled yeah, as maybe a Twenty One Jump. Yeah, Street. where yeah. it tries to be like Twenty One Jump Street, and it's directed by Seth Gordon, who did Pineapple Express, and and I oh, think man. he's I think he's a good director, but I also think his movies do tend to like ramble a little bit, mm-hmm. and this movie kind of suffers from it. But they do have like some great moments where. Uh, <laughs> They just—it has a lot of self-awareness to it, mm-hmm. which sometimes really works really well. Like they—they keep on trying to solve this murder, and the police and city council, are like, dude, you guys are lifeguards. You're not supposed to do this, and that's like a running joke throughout the movie. You're like you're just lifeguards. Lifeguards yeah. don't have any jurisdiction, and it—that's funny. Uh, the funniest little bit, and I was telling James about earlier, is so the Rock, you know, obviously wears like the red shorts and. In his fish aquarium at his house, Zach Efron has to stay there because he has nowhere to live. And in it, in the fish aquarium, he, he's in the red shorts and riding the dolphin. It's like a fish aquarium decoration. Mm-hmm. And then Zach Efron's broom is behind this fish aquarium. And when he goes in there and he looks at it again, it's the 
change to him like looking through binoculars at him, but it's still like a fish ornament. And then the rock gets fired from being a lifeguard and he works at a sprint store, the cell phone company. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you go back, he walks by the aquarium and it's the rock in a sprint <laughs> store outfit. It's just like, it's so stupid, but it's really funny. That's funny. Um, Co-produced yeah. by Eli Roth, by the way. Yeah. And written by the guys who wrote Freddy versus Jason. Uh, it's all oh. right. I mean, it's fun. Whatever. I, my, my in-laws get, got me a gift card for Best Buy for my birthday, and I bought it with it, so I was like, whatever. Sure, yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> no sweat off my yeah. back. I, I was actually really like excited about it at the beginning I'll let, of the I'll year. I'll let you borrow it. It's, okay. Because it's it's not bad, but it's not great. Yeah, it was just like when the trailers came out, I was it was one of those where like I'm watching the trailers going like, I none of these jokes look amazing, and I feel like the best things are here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you get the more of the motherfuckers and stuff like that, and the rock. I mean, the rock's great in it. Yeah, but that doesn't make it funny. That no, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's a thing where they they're trying out the new lifeguards and they have to complete this course. And Zach, Ef- Zach, Zach Efron plays this Olympic gold medalist, and he's like, "Man, I can do that in my sleep." And the rock's like, "That's not our course." And, and so it's like this course where they're like carrying two refrigerators down. The, it's like <laughs> totally dumb. Um, uh, it's just fun. I, I think the rock's great when he's just being goofy. the rock, yeah, amplified. Uh, Huh. Um, so it was fun. And the last thing I watched is I watched Batman and Harley Quinn, which I actually really enjoyed. It was pretty, f- it was really funny. And I actually laughed pretty hard at it. Is that a, that's a recent animated Yeah, it's one? the new DC animated one. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Melissa Rauch plays, uh, Harley Quinn and she does really well. Cool. Uh, Kevin Conroy's back as Batman and Nightwing is in it as well. The guy who's played Robin in the animated series. Lauren something uh, in it. They, they enlist Harley Quinn to help them stop poison Ivy and the Florentine man from turning the world into plants. Mm. And so Nightwing has to find Harley while Batman is trying to figure out what's going on. And he runs into her and uh, she ties him up after they have the street fight and they end up having sex and Batman walks in and he's like looking at him. He's looking at like the handcuffs on the bed and he's looking at clothes all over the place and Nightwing says, oh, come on, like, you've never slept with a villain before. <laughs> like, oh, that's pretty funny. My goodness. And there's, like, Harley Quinn fart jokes in it. And she farts in the Batmobile, and Batman says, if you ignore it, it goes away. And, <laughs> and then she farts again, he's like, that's pretty bad. And he opens up, like, the window. That's pretty good. It's it's pretty dorky. It, it's fun. Uh, it, it, you can tell it's written by Paul Dini. Because um, he's got a sense of humor. He has a sense of humor, and the Harley the Harley Quinn and the Poison Ivy stuff is pretty great. Cool. Um, I, I liked it more than uh, Henry and Brad. I thought I thought it was really funny. Okay. So if you're looking for lighthearted stuff, it's definitely the way to go. And um, I really quickly, one thing mm-hmm. I forgot, I watched The Conjuring Two for the first time because um, right. I didn't see it in theaters. Um, I may have to talk about it uh, again after I've rewatched the first Conjuring, which I own, but I. I may have an argument in me that Conjuring 2 might be um, superior to the first one. Um, but, again, I'll rewatch it and then we'll try it next week. <laughs> uh, well, I, what I like about the Conjuring 2 is it lets the characters breathe. That's it, I think part it's, of my defense. I, I, think it's, I think it's two hours and 40 minutes long. Wow. No, it's not, no, it's two hours and ten. I checked. Two hours and ten. Yeah, but it's still long. It's long. But, I mean, when does a horror start? Maybe an hour into the movie? Yeah. Oh wow. Roughly. They let well besides the opening Amityville scene, but no. I, well, I'm gonna say like maybe about 35, 40 minutes. Yeah, because they let the character you get to know the characters uh, because the Warrens go away for that while where you get to know the girls and stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's and what I love about the Conjuring movies 
Well, the first one kind of, but uh, the, the second one is it. They actually play with the fact that this might not be real. Yeah, you know, and uh, it, it's cool to see. They especially do it in the, in the second one. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and you, I mean, you're, you're texting me that the scene it with a nun is amazing. Yeah, and it's specifically, it's Lorraine is seeing visions in her own home in America, um, and she's like carving, uh, and she's like walking through her office. And her husband Ed has already done a painting of the nun um, uh, uh, earlier in the film, and it's hanging on a wall. I think mm-hmm. it's either hanging on the wall or on the canvas. Anyway, it, it is because remember it pans across. Yeah, that's right. And then you come back, and she's gone. Yeah, and it, so it does this beautiful thing where it plays with your expectations with the painting, and then it flat out turns into hyperdrive mode in such a way. That's why James Wan's amazing. He like, he, under, oh. he understands, I think, pacing really well in horror films. And he knows how to, like, toy with you a little bit yeah, and, in a uh, good way. The Nun makes an appearance in uh, Annabelle Creation. And apparently it's getting a spinoff, too. It is. So. They're filming it right now. Yeah. So. And the Slender Man in that one get, is getting one, too. Oh, it's the... Um, or what's his name? Not, the Crooked not Man. Slender the Crooked Man. Man. The Crooked Man. The Crooked Man, the crooked man who a, lives in the Crooked so, House. So uh, a lot of people think that's CGI. It's not CGI. Can you believe that? I couldn't. You have to watch the special features, but it's pretty amazing. But, well, see, the thing I was on is, like, when I saw it, I was like, this is probably really good CGI set up to look like the Babadook. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of, like, studied it a little bit, frame my frame, and I'm like, this is probably practical. It might be online. I don't think it's on the disc. You should check it out. It might be an article. It's, Just type it's, in the Crooked Man. That guy's not CGI? No. It's straight, up nightmare, it's straight up nightmare fuel, man. Yeah. yeah um, it's done well. We might, it's, and, all, it's all prosthetics and stuff, right? Yeah. Now, so. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I just wanted to bring that up oh, yeah, no. I, I love James Wan and oh, I love yeah, the no, Conjuring stuff. So. That'd be great. And it leads into what we might be talking about here in a second. Cool. <laughs> so. uh, this week on Real Nerds Podcast, we saw It. We did. Zach, should people see It? Yes, I think you should just float on by to your theater and uh, go check it oh. out. That's, that's what <laughs> I'm waiting did. for. you. No, um, I think, uh, yes, go see it. I love the movie. I think it is. Uh, this year is so hard because there's a lot of good movies that have come out this year. This might have eligibility for the list, but, and we're going to discuss it later, I think this is among the most important movies to be released this year, hmm. and we'll talk about it here in a minute. I James? think in a way, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you can go if you're still going to I just, done. I think, I feel about this film the way James feels about Arrival. Wow. Wow. But... I you best explain. get ready to defend, sir, because yeah. this movie is shit. No, I know this <laughs> fucking movie is amazing. Yeah, um, yeah. People should go see it. Uh, it, you know, it's it's funny because like it's funny. Is, uh, fuck off. <laughs> it is funny. <laughs> it is funny. Yeah. Um, this is a movie that, of course, like is not for James um, on the surface, uh, but this is totally a movie for James. Uh, by the time it was over, like I don't find it to be terribly scary. There's definitely some really intense moments, and there's some like there's some imagery that I think would be really disturbing. I think this really ends up sort of turning into a really emotional adventure film that, in my mind, plays closer to a a super eight than anything else, um, which similarly has scary moments. They're not as visually disturbing, right? Um, but you know, and and it's a lot more tense than that. So please don't misunderstand me. This movie is not for people who can watch Super Eight. This is a rated R horror film, like with with imagery that will scare kids. But uh, as an adult, I watch it and uh, absolutely love these characters, love the kids. the The reason this movie for me sets itself apart is that this is a film that 
really is trying to say something and honestly got me a little bit emotional by the end. I mean, uh, then uh, you know, we'll we'll spoil it later, but um there's a couple of really great heart-wrenching and beautiful moments uh near the end of the film that, you know, despite the fact that you have this crazy clown running all over the place being silly and weird uh and having lots of teeth, you you still end up going like, man, this this is something that has something to say and is, is a story that, you know, uh, I think most people will carry with them a lot longer. So I, I would certainly agree. This, you know, uh, in many in years to pass, there have there's usually been like one horror movie from the year that works its way into my list. Um, and there's certainly no reason to say that this wouldn't be it. Yeah, Ryan, should people see it? Uh, Ryan, do you yeah, want a balloon? I, I actually think this is one of the best movies of the year. Yeah. In so much, not for the horror elements, great, but the. When I read reviews of this, I got really excited because if you listen to our film Explosion 87, you'll know that my favorite film from that year is The Monster Squad because I love the interplay with the kids and their love for the horror. This, to me, is an R-rated version of The Monster Squad Yep, mm-hmm. where the kids are so close and so tight that what, no matter what happens in the film, you, you care about the kids because you don't want anything bad to happen to them because they feel real. They feel like they're real friends. I've, I mean, hell, I was probably part of the Losers Club when I was in school. Right. You know, I was never... I was their president. You know, <laughs> uh, there's so many more. I mean, I even shed tears when they, they introduced Ben because, like, he's this cute little chubby kid mm-hmm. and he meets... Oh, it's uh, so meets adorable. Don't spoil it, please. Not yet. Yeah, 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 <laughs> okay. yeah, 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 really. Well, at least wait, wait till the trailer. Is that a spoil? Just wait till the trailer, yeah. I know, yeah. Because I, I think if, if you're somebody who's on the fence, like... Uh, like me, right? I I've never read the book, never seen the original. I know genuinely. I did not know that kid was in this movie because he's not in any of the marketing. So when that I story so, is, yeah. is introduced, honestly, uh, and her, um, both of them were so refreshing and beautiful that yeah, I, I would say yeah. Okay. And if if you're on the, the fence and you're James convinced, where... I think you shouldn't know any of that. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a great film, and I'll, I will point out that it's directed by the guy who did Mama, and I loved Mama too. Yep. So uh, here here's the trailer for it. When you're a kid, you think the universe revolves around you. They think that you'll always be protected and cared for. Then, one day, you realize that's not true. Because when you're alone as a kid, the monsters see you as weaker. You don't even know they're getting closer. Until it's too late.
with me. You'll float too. Georgie. I saw something. A clown. Yeah, I saw him too. You'll float too. What happens when another Georgie goes missing? One of us. Are you just gonna pretend it isn't happening like everyone else in this town? If we stick together, we'll win. Uh, yeah, so I, at least to preface it, we'll say, like, you know, I think we can go a little worry while without really spoiling it, but if you're going to watch the movie, from here on out, we're going to be able to just talk freely about this, so uh, beware. The, the, the story... I'm I've always... kind of curious about your... Because your, your, your initial review is that this is a, among the best movies of the year, but you have stated in the past that you, are, you do not like the book. It. No, I think the book is garbage. So... <laughs> Is it fair to say that Stephen King is a really good premise man? But I, I think a, so. But he's a hit or miss on the actual concept. I think so. And, and well, he and was that, on a lot of cocaine when he yeah, wrote this book. And, and, and to be, it, well, this is a lot of people's favorite Stephen King novel. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Shauna. To the reason I don't like this book is there's a couple scenes in it that I think are gross, gross. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm no, I'm aware of one of them. Yeah, but. and also in the book narratively he bounces back and forth between adults and kids mm-hmm. oh and it should be stated that this film there focuses are, solely on the kids yeah. yeah there's really no adults here no and you know if i had one criticism of this film is the next part's going to be the adults and i'm really not looking forward to it but yeah because uh, there's other parts in the book where they so as the book goes along i don't want to spoil it but they reveal what it is mm-hmm. and it, i don't like it <laughs> I lo- you know, in a way that this movie doesn't, right? Yes. Because I, yes. I know nothing. So Yes. And, so, and I'll be honest, I'm not concerned with you possibly spoiling the second film. Okay. Right. So they explain... Do you want me to... I, I know that it's like a trans-dimensional monster or okay, something. Okay, there you and go. It ends so up being it, like it, a spider. Yeah, and it, it's like orange spots, and it's like three million years old. And you do see a, a quick, like, near, there at the end, like, he, he suddenly has these big, long, like, thing. Like I thought crab. they were going to go... Yeah. 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 Uh, I thought they were going to maybe so, go there. To me, the book is, I think, 1,136 pages, something like that. Yeah. So Stephen King has a tendency to ramble. When you ask me, I've said this many times, my favorite Stephen King book is his novella, Cycle of the Werewolf, because it gets straight to the point. Mm -hmm. He has a tendency to ramble. Cujo is a good book. It gets straight to the point. Gerald's Game, which is coming out on Netflix, is a good book. It's like 400 pages. Mm -hmm. It, The Stand, The Shining, I think ramble. And I've never been a big fan of The Shining. I've not been a big fan of... So actually, I'm not even that big of a Stephen King fan, <laughs> but I will say that he his premises, you're right, are very cool. Mm-hmm. The first 30 pages of this book are terrifying. Mm-hmm. So the first 30 pages of the book is the opening of the movie. Yeah, Georgie gets his boat, goes underneath. Uh, it, and that scene with, with Georgie in the basement, it's awesome. Oh, yeah. It's so good. Uh, in the book, Pennywise 
when you meet him, has a bunch of balloons. If I, re- I haven't read the book in so long. He has That's balloons I- that are as brightly colored as fresh fruit. Okay, so yeah, so I'm not remembering it wrong. So he sees that. Uh, so we'll go back to the movie. So the book is, uh, I'm not a fan of it. The reason I like the movie so much is because it does focus on the kids. And I think they got the kids right. Mm-hmm. Because everything they say reminds me of my friend's you know, it's everybody has their little quirks and their little. Everybody's f- clearly defined. Exactly, and I think that's the best thing this movie did mm-hmm. was even a little boy named Georgie, and I mean he's he's dead within the first ten minutes of the film. He, he's he's such a weight throughout the rest of the film. You feel like you understand who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know the, and even the kid uh, Bill, the guy, the kid who plays Bill, Amazing. with with the stutter. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you can. That is the most convincing stutter I've ever seen on film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even when he's when he has his big powerful moments, mm-hmm. like it's funny. It's such an obvious thing where you know, oh, he's gonna have a big moment where he talks and he doesn't stutter, and that's gonna be huge. And it happens, and I didn't notice until he said it. Yeah, because he actually he still he still struggles. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't quite stutter, and so it's a subtle thing that that they do. Like the character says it, and I don't feel I don't feel like you're pandering to me or that I'm supposed to be stupid. I actually felt like you you pulled that off because his performance is so good, and that's mm-hmm. amazing. I mean, it's yeah. great. Uh, so yeah, so to me to make to sell the horror, the most usually the most effective horror films are the ones that you care about the characters the most, right? Whether it's uh, Halloween, Halloween, uh, Laurie Strode, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so the, you just cut me off the Ben kid. Yeah. You know, it's fine. Uh, you didn't want to spoil the Ben kid. I love this kid in this movie oh because gosh. I, when he first meets Bev and he's, she says, you're listening to New Kids on the Block. What a funny joke throughout the yeah. course of the movie. And he's like, no, do- yo, girl, please awesome. don't go. Like, like the song. <sighs> And he's such a lovable kid, and I think the tension between him and Billy oh, yeah. and Bev is a great part of the story that, that in most subtly. movies would just be on the cutting room floor. You you just wouldn't do it because you don't have time, it, and the fact that this movie is two and a half hours long is to everyone's credit making it that they were that ballsy, because this movie is only great because they are allowed to do that kind of stuff. And you know? I will take it a step further. So you're right. That would either be on the cutting room floor or it would be an important plot point that is shoved in your face the wrong way. I like the fact that this is done subtly. They don't like have a draw a bunch of attention to the fact that Ben might be harboring resentment. They kind yeah. of like yeah. allude to it. Yeah. There's not a lot of like Ben scowling in the corner while he or while Billy and Bev are like hanging out. Yeah, yeah. and I think he he has that, but it's also I think he understands that it's okay to have a friend too. Yeah, that's yeah. cuz he says he cuz he says he doesn't have a friend. Mm-hmm. And he realizes that you know, yeah, I can profess my love to her in the cutest little poem. And oh, God. uh oh, God, yeah. It's just it's just so well done. And 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 a a really, you know, to the point of the film, like actually a really brave moment because there's no consequence for him, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, especially it's you know, your fear when you're that kid. You know, where you think, like, man, if I actually tell a girl how I feel, like, nothing, only bad things can come from it. Mm-hmm. Like, here's this great story about bravery where even though he doesn't get what he wants, nothing bad actually comes from it. Like, everything yeah. is okay. You know, sure, there's some confusion there, but she knows. Like, it's not and, like it's hidden. And what I love, too, about the character of Bev is she's 
willing she makes her own decisions mm-hmm. when she knows she has she has feelings for bill and she drops the line of the poem and he doesn't know what she's he's talking about and she's at first she's disappointed but you know it's it's another moment that's just built into this layers of these characters mm-hmm. that is great because when uh when ben saves her has she saved i don't know mm-hmm. uh you know i guess pennywise is kind of using her as a to lure the other kids to him. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, or it, it may just be that she actually is like consumed or whatever. And that those kids, well, are gonna, I mean, I, I don't know enough about, well, the thing is with Pennywise is he feeds off your fear, right? That's why he preys on children because they're more easily scared. Yeah. So if she's not, if, she, if her biggest fear is her father, she's not afraid of him. Right. Like everything. I mean, what her father did is horrible to her. So she's like, whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he, she's the only one. I think, She's the only one whose fear is ira- or who, whose fear is not irrational. Exactly. Right. Exactly. She's the only person who's afraid of something real. Um, which by the is way, part of why she's so great. By oh, the way, gosh. I, I want a court order sent out for all the parents of Derry, Maine, to be rounded up and shot in the head. <laughs> right. God damn it! They are horrible fucking people. That yeah. mo- the mom of Eddie makes me want to smack her. Oh, like, oh my god! So I, so, the moment but, she but appeared she, on screen, I wanted. I said, I want to smack her. But she plays <laughs> such a. That's such an important character for who Eddie is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Because you know, without that, it's right. and absolutely. It, it's interesting. You know, she's terrifying early on, and then that last moment we have with her, like she's awful, and you kind of expect that like she's going to turn into a real monster. And when he runs out on the porch and she runs after him, like there's a desperation there that's mm-hmm. very human and actually makes what me. Like what does he call the pills? He doesn't call them placebo pills. He calls them gazebos. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Such great little kid oh, moments. So, so and, and, the, and I mean, all the kid actors are great. I think the the girl who plays Bev is amazing. Yeah, it's a transformative performance. Guy who plays Bill is really good. My favorite of the kids is Eddie, because like, wow. well, one, like, I think there's a part of me that could like connect to Eddie in terms of like having a uh, having a a similar relationship with my parents, but like this is his. He is such an assured actor. Mm-hmm. I agree. Like from moment A to moment end, where he doesn't feel like he's struggling to understand what he's supposed to do, and I think it's a very strong performance. Yeah, I think that's the strength of the film too. Is I think everybody can identify. It's like I identify with that Ben kid. Mm-hmm. You know, always yeah. like being like the lovable guy and yeah, you know, not knowing what to say to girls when I was younger and things yeah. like that. And I can relate to Ben too uh, on that level, I guess mm-hmm. too. So, but like. I just I don't know like there was and the kid who's from Stranger Things he's great too is yeah. so good Richie That's such a right? shit and, heel yeah yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah yeah he's so good. but I love when we finally reveal that he because there's this moment where he's like I'm not afraid of anything and then there's that where he turns and sees a clown on a stage and I'm I like. Know. Fuck, man, he does have fear. Yeah. Like oh, he's yeah. just he's masking it with a shit ton of cursing. Yeah. And you, um You know what's great about this film too is we haven't even talked about Pennywise nope. and the horror element of this film. Let's yep. talk about Bill Skarsgård and how he kind of sounds like Scooby Doo. Now <laughs> to our point of or you know, because I think you and I have said something very similar, right? Like if this is like the Monster Squad or if I if I'm saying it it feels like an adventure film or it feels like a Stranger Things, you know, um I think that's because those kids are so great and you while the horror elements are there and they're terrifying when they're there, you're invested in that. You're not in, like most horror, regular horror films, like a slasher, like the people are, um, they're disposable are, yeah, they're disposable. They're usually very shallow 
And so you're not really rooting. I mean, the truth is, in some of them, you're really sort of rooting for the slasher because you're like, oh, well, that's the fun part of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or you want to see like them sort of try to get away, but some of them are going to die. Like this is one where you you want these kids to figure out how they're going to beat this guy because um, they're so amazingly lovable. I feel like Pennywise, the reason he works in this film, because, I, again, I haven't seen the miniseries with Tim Curry. You don't need to. But here's the th- <laughs> Well, I'm going to to watch Tim Curry's on it, but here's the thing. I've got to take an assumption and say that Tim Curry hams it up a shit ton. Yeah, I, th- I think well, it's yeah. super overrated. And this is an instance where Bill Skarsgård is a genius, and I think he should get a nomination for Best Supporting Actor for this film. I Because, and part of it's the first ten minutes, but also oh, yeah. is that, what? So, yeah. No, I was going to say, no, it's the first great. ten minutes. There's His... He's a character I don't want to see throughout the entire film because of how scary he is. is what I, I think what's, what's great about his performance, I don't know if you can follow me on this, is he's there, but he's not there. Yeah. Like yeah. He's he's trying to be normal when he's talking yes. to Georgie, but mm-hmm. he's not. Yeah. and you yes. He's almost like... Pretending to be human. Pretending or... to be human, but in the performance he's is... Incapable of actually yeah, pulling it off. And, and I, I've mentioned this before a couple weeks ago, but... When he's talking about the popcorn, yeah, and then and then Georgie's like, "Yeah, popcorn," and then he's just like, Ehh. and it's Did like, you know, that's practical. The eye thing is it really? Yeah. So Bill Skarsgård has a lazy eye. Mm-hmm. He has spent most of his. I learned about this today from somebody, so I could be wrong, but you know, so, but uh, he's he's had a lazy eye his whole life. He's worked for years to correct it, and in this case worked really hard to let it go lazy again oh, damn. so that he could pull that off and have one eye look at the camera and one eye look at at Georgie. And so that shot is a practical shot. I mean, obviously the one later where his eyes go wide, mm-hmm. that's not real in the sort of mummy-esque way or whatever. Or yeah. whatever. Right. Uh, a lot of eye shit this year. But that one at the beginning, when his eye just goes lazy, and there are other times where it just gets wonky, it's just, it's just his eyes, yeah, and, which is so bizarre. It is such a cool actor choice. To, and by the director too, you, to leave it there. Like he's he's like and popcorn, and it stays there. Yeah. Like there's nothing else, and it's and that's what I mean. It's like it takes it the monster, to a while to like reset and be and to lure this child, <laughs> to you know to get yeah. his boat, and it, yeah. he realizes yeah. what he has to do, and even the way he delivers the the line where he's like. You have to get it. You don't want Bill to kill you. Bill's gonna kill you. Yeah, and yeah. Like, the way he delivers a line, it's very, very unique. Yeah, and I, honestly, any movie that is willing, like Jaws, to hurt children mm. and show you what happens to them, it, it, the imagery is horrific. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I was because I, I I've read the book and I know that Georgie loses his arm. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that would happen. And but that the, that helpless moment where he's there, and there's the woman who's so close, and like, yeah, it, it is. It's really unsettling. Well, because I mean, the way the c- camera's positioned, where he's trying to, cr- he's like crawling towards you. Yeah. When his but arms really flying and blood's flying everywhere, and like whoa. Yeah. And and the, the moment where he's back in the basement, and yeah. you know, Bill follows him down there, and he's oh. he's like. Oh, you'll, float you'll float too. You'll float too. <laughs> and he, he's a ventriloquist dummy. And he like, starts shaking and like yeah. he's rotting away. It's, and again, and then it's revealed he's a ventriloquist dummy. Yeah. If he turned yeah. a kid into a ventriloquist dummy, this movie should be banned by the Catholic League. <laughs> and I, I mean, and then even the the moment when they go and confront Pennywise, and he tries to use Georgie again on Bill. That 
scene oh, wow. is oh. incredibly oh, rough. Yeah. And and rough not because, uh, uh, for me, not because it's about, like, hey, let's see Bill basically kill Georgie. Like, yeah, that's visually rough. Emotionally, what's happening there is he's got to come to terms with the fact that, that Georgie is, is gone. Yep. Um, it's something he hasn't been able scene, to do the whole time. Yeah, like yeah. that's the part that is so rough and and, and honestly really a, a, a beautiful moment, you know? Yeah. Um, it's a very mature adult And uh, again, what moment. makes the movie cool, too, is he says, you know, you're not Georgie. Yeah. And then it stays there for a couple beats. Yeah. Like it doesn't, nothing happens. Like, did he just literally just kill his... I say no. Yeah. Like, did he kill his brother? And, and, you know, Pennywise, he has some moments in it that, I mean, I think this, I think you're right. I think this Skarsgård villain is going to transcend time because the imagery is already scary and Mm -hmm. what he brings to the performance is really terrifying. I, because all he has to do is sell the moments he's as Pennywise because the rest of what it does is manifest itself based on your fear, and I guess in the from what I was reading, the book was monsters from like the fifties era. Mm-hmm. So because the book takes place in yeah. the fifties, yeah. So with this one is even better is that they're able to tap into a more modern um, sensibility while still keeping it in the eighties. the The painting lady is freaky. Yeah, um, it's like painting on its own. You see that, and you're like, oh. Who are you, Dad? The yeah. le- what the fuck? The leper is straight up fucking nightmare fuel. Yeah. Um. The uh. Like a- again. Like it all works in this wonderful way. Um. And w- within that, Bill Skarsgård has to pull off the f- the the sparse moments where you see Pennywise and he delivers dialogue. It's strange to say this because it's not directly related, but it reminds me a lot of when Heath Ledger played the Joker. I know sure, that's comparing cool, yeah. one clown to another clown. Sure, yeah, but but that same level go of like beyond chaos, yeah. that surface level connection is that it's they're both villains and what much like what Ledger does as the Joker because we don't see the Joker shit ton in the Dark Knight. Um, uh, what Pennywise does, Bill Scars does does as Pennywise is ground it. Whereas my impression of Tim Curry from the clips I've seen is that he. Jack Nicholson's it, right? Yeah, so I'm, I'm drawing up. the I'm drawing the comparison to make that point. Yeah, yeah. Which is like this right. is the reality. Of like, there's that joke that Pennywise does when Eddie's outside the house, and he like it's it's a dumb line, which is like a, like well, if you were if you lived here, you'd already be home. It's like, really and, and good. The, yeah, we all float down there. Um, and yeah. uh, but like, so he's telling the joke, but he's like kind of mocking it. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't understand it, right? Yeah, because like, exactly. like cause, there's these weird moments where he's kind of funny because he's a three million year old monster who doesn't know what new comedy is. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I, um, I I say like I think this is a performance for the ages um, uh, in terms of horror um, because this is like this is something very strong, and I I understand that there's frustration that part two won't involve the kids we've seen in this I movie. I think that's the only thing I'm not. But yeah, we will at to. least. Well, but we will at least still have Bill Skarsgård. Is is my understanding? Oh yeah. Well, yeah, so. so my hope, the thing I'll say is, I think you could elevate the first film with the second film, if what this becomes is, and I haven't read the book, so I don't really know. But if you took this opportunity, right, when these characters come back as adults, obviously you, there's things you're going to call back to and like and and ways that, you know, now that as they've gotten older, my fear is that it'll feel very like a dreamcatcher-esque where like half mm-hmm. the characters are fucking assholes that you don't like. 
um, and that'll be disappointing. But to me, the best thing you could do is have their fears change in a way that represents the way that when as you become an adult, the things you are afraid of go from being um, irrational things to being more rational things. Yeah. And if the if if what it does to prey on their fears really um, really brings that into 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 view and and basically your fears in the second film are are actually way scarier right they're not a melted looking lady thing they're they're the kinds of things that really do happen and the kinds of like pain and and terror that you you are actually afraid of as an adult Mm -hmm. if you if you use that i think it it has the potential to elevate even the first movie because you're you're you know juxtaposing the the, these two different things and that could be really cool if the end of the movie is a giant fucking spider, then that might not be as cool. Uh, I mean, it might be cool just as a "Hey, we need to kill the giant spider" thingy. Um, but its weakness is turtles, so its fucking weakness is turtles. Okay, well, we should really rewrite the second one a lot because <laughs> um, you know Stephen King was on a lot of drugs um, when he wrote it. So, so earlier on, I alluded to how this is an important film to be released. Yeah. Um. Or among the most important films to be released. So here's my reckoning and reason, um, which was validated by an article that I read um, this morning on the film's box office success. So this year has been very good for horror films. I think that can be agreed between Get Out, Annabelle Creation, and um, It. Uh, it and um, there's probably been some other stuff that I'm oh split split I mean I'm not a big fan of split but it's technically a horror movie interesting so yeah. um uh, but uh so this has been very good for it and so it's kind of proof positive that this genre will always live on obviously but it goes in phases like any other genre and sorry other than maybe superhero films I think I think they're on a steady plateau um so I think that the success of this film is good because we're going to see the studios start going back to horror because this business is reactionary. True. And when we see $117 million going into Warner Brothers' pocket for uh, a horror movie, because it is a horror movie, regardless of like classifying it in separate sex- sure. subgenres, uh, it's a horror movie. And so th- other studios are going to take note. What I think is very important about this release of this film is that it confirms something that I've been suspecting since the conjuring came out in 2013 and got these stellar reviews and good box office is that Warner brothers has something very good that they're not necessarily taking advantage of up until now, which is that they're doing horror films a lot better than universal uh, is at the moment with the exception of get out, but that's an acquisition. So it's different. Yeah. The conjuring universe so far is the most successful cinematic universe post Marvel right now in terms of consistency of quality and how much money it makes their DC stuff. I'm sorry, with the exception of wonder woman, they're fucking it up. And I think that justice league is going to bomb and Warner brothers is going to rethink a lot of things, but among them is, Hey, why don't we try making some quality horror movies? Because those have been, good bread and butter for us at weak moments for the past three or four years. Yeah. But the, 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 the watch word there was quality, right? Like 
if if you just throw money if if what you do is you go hey it worked let's go remake a bunch of Stephen King novels well again um, again it, since it's reactionary it will probably not go my way but right. I'm saying that the idea is planted sure for this to spark a renaissance of horror that will also spread out to the other studios as well um, and I think that's a good thing because I think especially with how we are living uh, in the world right now horror is a good release. I sure. think, in a way, horror films are the healthiest genre of films that exist because it's, it allows for a release that we can't get in the real world tangibly. I categorically disagree, but I, I understand what you're saying. Um, <laughs> what and, I hope is we is horror films start going away from the supernatural stuff. Sure. Um, and not, I mean, I guess well, but it I mean, is technically supernatural, but what I mean is like the cheap, here's a jump scare. Yeah. Here's another jump scare. And I think this film, this film, the Conjuring films, and Get Out prove that the jump scare doesn't work anymore, and you have to build tension to earn any form of a jump scare. Number one, but number two, you've got to draw it out with actual content. Yeah, and then I just can't wait till Friday Thirteenth goes back to them. That's and, oh, and that's yeah. another thing. So like, because it would go back to New Line, I don't think New Line is going to be afraid to exploit that for what they can. Because well, New Line's whereas, never been really afraid. Yeah, Paramount is terrified. Cause, well, because Paramount doesn't get why they have this like black sheep in their family. Yeah, it's it's always been that way for them since the since the moment it was a, arrived. Um, I also think on in terms of the content of this film, it is dark as shit. Oh, like oh, yeah. holy fuck, like how this film got an R rating is beyond me because I can see so many people coming out and protesting this. The, if it were the PC era, but I think we're getting away from PC era and stuff like this and Stranger Things and stuff like that is now allowed to exist and be viable market again like it would have been in the mid-80s. But the fact that like – because the fact that there was a miniseries of it in the 90s is kind of boggling to me given the fact that all the content that's in that story um, in itself yeah. – and, yeah, but I mean, if, from I mean, the th dude, like this fucking movie has a kid get his arm bit off, and there's a good ten seconds where that kid is crawling and his nub is leaking blood into the sewer. Yeah, it's hard, rough shit. <laughs> it is. It's pretty rough. Um, a clown yeah. bites a kid in the face. Hey, there's a crazy moment in this movie where they're watching some slides, and then a giant ass fucking clown climbs through a giant projector and fills the whole garage. Mm -hmm. That was weird. Yep. Yep. I don't know why that even worked. I think <laughs> I think this film is important. Um, and and I'm glad that it came out when it did, especially at the end of the summer slump. And I think that this is going to dictate a a lot of trends for the next couple of years. And I, I'm hoping in a good way. Yeah. I, I think it's an amazing movie. I I always want a movie to be good and have something worth saying, and th this is definitely one that um, that I think fits that bill. Well, um, and I'm happy that it's able to go beyond just being the film, like what it can do yeah. to bolster other areas. Sure. It's very important. So, um, so yeah, yeah. I, I love this movie. Yeah, go see it. Uh, next week we're seeing Mother. Okay. <laughs> it's that or American Assassin or All I See Is You. How do you not want to see American Assassin more? Because I think Mother looks more interesting. Okay. Hey, uh, 
I want to see Mother because I have no fucking clue what I'm looking at. But yeah. I've heard that it's going to disturb all of America. Yeah. It's the most controversial. That, that, that trailer today. The trailer is pretty great. Just awful. <laughs> really, I hate that trailer. Pretty great. You will never forget the first where you were the first time. It reminds me of like yeah. the 60s, 50s, big time. That, I agree it, with that. Yeah, but, but, but they do so... it in the wrong. But they do it the wrong way. I yeah. think. It, it, it <laughs> I bought my so ticket. I, wa- I walked right out of there and bought my ticket. <laughs> Because um, the told you yeah. to. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, well, maybe that's Brad what he wants to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I like and am a big defender of Darren Aronofsky. I, I'm very curious to see what the hell he's doing. Yeah. Um, Jennifer Lawrence says he's a genius. Yeah, Jennifer Lawrence. Well, whatever. I entered that contest to I go get Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> She's okay. I love her. I, I entered that contest so I could go wine tasting with her and have a picnic. Nice. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I would. Yeah, it's worth it. Yeah, you might as well. Man, cool. can't believe I liked it. Yeah. So, so I only have one more question for you guys. Would you like a balloon? We all float down here. <laughs> maybe we can he's so talk good. to Brad and maybe just put that scene instead of the trailer in. Oh, man. He's he's just so... Well, the problem is there's so much quietness, right? Like, there's so. so much silence in there that it would make for a really bad podcast. Yeah, <laughs> but, all right. Whatever. Man... Ooh, you I've generally this whole review just been like looking at photos uh, the whole time <coughs> of naked women. No, oh no, oh. no, no, from from the film. Oh, okay. like f- pictures of Pennywise and pictures. Of, like I've, I've looked at a lot of photos of the weird spidery thing from the from the TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that that line when he's going like um like when he's when Georgie says we're strangers and he's like oh well that's easy fix Pennywise yeah meet Georgie. Georgie, meet Pennywise. I was like, "Fuck, I, 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 want, I, I don't want any clown coming within five feet of my house." <laughs> yeah. Oh man, guys, there's, 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 there's turtles hidden in the movie. <gasps> yep. Remember, he picks up the Lego turtle when he goes into Georgie's room. He does, mm-hmm. and, he, and, he and it breaks, it. and then he goes down there and he's not protected. Oh man, that's so dumb. If, I'm just saying, if Bill Skarsgård, if I ever meet Bill Skarsgård, I'm going to shake him by the collar and go, "What the fuck, man!" <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Go Thanks for it. listening. Yeah. Bye. 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 You'll float too. Will Real Nerds Podcast is a Nebulous Visions multimedia production. The Real Nerds would like to thank the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now open in Sloan's Lake. We also would like to thank Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics, especially Andrew. Our music has been brought to you by Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios. And of course, Thanks to James's mother, our most loyal listener. Have a nice day.